Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are recording early so we can watch this football game. Brian, I'm going to tell you, I don't even know who's playing, but I have a feeling it's going to be a barn burner. Maybe I'll bet on it. I actually have a bet on Moritz Sider to win the Calder that I made early in the season, and it's looking really good for me right now that you were telling me in a chat recently that you think that... Uh, Zegris is going to win it, but I feel like if Zegris wins it, it's more like just because of his highlights and not because of his stats, which I don't think is really fair. Anyway, I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and really excited for this week's show. Joining me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. That's a lot to respond to in the opening. Like, I was just going to respond to the, the football game comment, which I know it's Cincinnati against the Rams, who I think are no longer from St. Louis. I think they might be the LA Rams at this point. Uh, People listening, you know, or you don't know, and you don't care. You either know, and you think this is annoying that I don't know, or you don't know, and it's annoying because I'm still talking about it. Uh, But we're really excited to focus on hockey, specifically fantasy hockey, and hopefully come up with as great bets the rest of the season as Elon's on Maurice Sider. Although I do agree that I think, uh, like I mentioned to you, Elon, I think Zgrass is the more marketable exciting player like there's more there's more social media clout behind him and honestly i I have a feeling that's what plays into a lot of these awards because you you have your professional hockey writers who vote on them and you have teams waging campaigns for players to be considered and what cider's done this season is super impressive for what a 20 year old pacing for 55 points as a defenseman that's rare that's unheard of when Darlene was doing stuff like this at 18 mind you but like we were going gaga for him so we should be going uh we should at least be giving Maurice Sider a hearty pat on the back in anticipation of him possibly losing the call to race but that's not a big deal uh because he's still going to be a good player awards aren't everything unless i guess you've bet on them (laughs) so i'm I'm sorry about that elon you should know better than to bet on nhl awards there's nothing like less rational than than who the awards go out to well i mean when the odds i saw were 10 to 1 i was like at least this is a coin flip maybe three to one at best if it's going to be a three-person race between cider raymond and zegris not the time zegris was actually having a slow start when i made that bet so I don't know. I just feel like not only is Sider pacing for 55 points, like you said, he's also like leading his team in ice time as a 20 year old, like playing well defensively. Like, I don't know. It's like it's super rare. People have se- rookie seasons like Zegers. Like there's like two of them every year. Last year, Jason Robertson had a very similar season. He didn't win the Calder. You know what we need to do? We need to become part of the PHWPA, the Professional Hockey Writers uh-huh. then Association. And I, I won't be allowed to make these bets, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I went, I'm sure no one would know. But yeah, you definitely shouldn't do that. Uh, but I think you, you, have, you make a good case and you deserve a vote. So, so let's uh, let's figure out how to do that. That would be a lot of fun. But okay, let's get to this week's show. We've got a really fun episode planned. Basically, for a lot of people, especially everyone in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, starting on Monday, there are six matchups left 
before the fantasy playoffs. Things it's just you know zoomed by this season. Even with these extra matchups added, just six left. That's like a month and a half, and then you're in your fantasy playoffs. So I know a lot of people are already looking at playoff schedules and trying to figure out you know who's going to give them the most games during the fantasy playoffs. But if you're like me, Brian, uh, in a couple of my leagues, like I'm still fighting to make the playoffs, right? So I thought it would be fun for this episode to look at who's got the most games in these next six weeks, the players that you're going to need to help you to get into the playoffs. I feel like future Elon will worry about how to succeed in the playoffs. Maybe come the like, trade deadline, I'll start looking at that. But for now, I thought it would be fun to look at these next six weeks, most games. So that's the plan for this week's show. We're going to go through every team, uh, or a bunch of them that have the most games, the top 17 teams, and we'll give a take on each one. So that's the plan. And before we get to that, of course, let's just quickly mention that Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. I love it. I go there all the time. I love frozen tools. I use that to prep the shows and to do all my planning. I'm always like on my phone. I basically have four tabs. And one of them is uh, the last game lines on frozen tools that I always use to sometimes even get real-time game lines, which is super useful. So yeah, check it all out. The great suite at DauberHockey.com. But let's get going, Brian, with the plan. We're looking at games between February 14th and March 27th, there are two teams that play 22 times over these next six weeks. So if you do the math there, if they were playing three times a week, that would be 18 games, right? So we're talking four weeks of four games and and two weeks of three games. So these are really good schedules for the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Islanders. So let's start with the Jets. Uh, Blake Wheeler just had that huge five-point game on Saturday and the 5-2 win over Nashville. We already told you on like previous shows to add him if he's available. I know there was that time early on when he was struggling. We were talking about it, and we've already, you know, like corrected anything we may have said about he's going to slow down. Like he's doing great. He's on the top line. He's getting the perfect deployment. Like uh, if somehow he's still available, like your league is probably a clown league at this point. Uh, you know, and Kyle Connor, Dubois, Shifley, they're all on fire as well. So there's nothing actionable for most listeners. But here is something I noticed, Brian. In that game versus Nashville, it was not Neil Pionk on the top power play. It was actually Josh Morrissey who was playing on the. Th- top power play for his third game in a row and he finally capitalized after a long culture he had two power play assists in that game uh and so yeah Brian, we've been talking about neil pionk struggles on the show you told me at one point that you're gonna hold him for as long as he holds that top power play so this can't feel good i'd imagine as a pionk manager to not only see him struggling but now to see him potentially off the top power play obviously it helps that he has this great schedule coming up <laughs> 22 games over these next six weeks makes him a little bit easier to hold even if he's not getting the primo deploymento but at only 39 percent roster josh morrissey has got to look like an appealing option with this new deployment now, right? Like, I grabbed him, actually, in the couple recently in anticipation of the four games next week. Brian, what do you think the chances are that he'll turn into a rest-of-season hold for me? Rest-of-season, honestly, is dicey for Josh Morrissey, even though he's on the top power play, which means you do have to go out and get him. Like, this could be... It's not an urgent pause the pod. I think it's like, let the pod keep playing while you go and add Josh Morrissey. First, I'm just going to head on over to Neil Pionk and saying, like, this is getting hard to take now, <laughs> especially given uh, that Pionk has lost his top power play deployment, which has happened in the past before. You know, we've never really depended so much on Pionk for power play points, but they definitely help give him that upside that we always hope he can reach, which Pionk is definitely not doing this season. You know, I'm now looking at Pionk's numbers from last year. He had 23 points in his first 27 games, then just nine points in his final 27 games. And I'm wondering, this is a trend for Pionk? Like if this is a, if he's going to get the the second half slumper label, or if it's just a coincidence that once again, Neil Pionk has disappeared after the 25 game mark, which is actually just the first quarter of a regular season. So Pionk, even without that top power play deployment, 
He's still valuable in like an Alec Martinez kind of way, even without that raft of power play points coming in. But of course, managers want Pionk for his strong floor with upside that's both good and reasonable to expect him to reach. And right now, uh, Pionk has got just one of those pieces running, and that's his floor. And losing power play one isn't going to help him reach his ceiling. So I- I'm not going to say give up on Pionk for anybody asking that question. I forgive you for being super impatient, though. And maybe in your league, at least take a look at the waiver wire and see what's out there. It depends a lot on your format and depth of free agency, but I think you still hold on. But back to Josh Morrissey, which is who you asked about. Elon Morrissey last season pasted for 13 power play points and still only a 31 point pace for the season. That's really, really bad, right? That That's not good. That means he doesn't do almost anything at five on five. Morrissey already had six power play points from the second unit before picking up that pair on Saturday night, I think it was, uh, to pace him now for 16 power play points on the air. But that is only bringing Morrissey up to a 35-point pace for the whole season. So basically, the picture I'm painting here of Josh Morrissey is that even with the top power play deployment, he's not going to be an easy one to roster all the way through because he does so little at five-on-five. Think Rasmus Anderson as a comparable, right? As somebody who's been on the top power play, but hard to hold while he does it. I know that I know it hasn't been true lately, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But think about how Rasmus Anderson has so often been for the last little while. So yeah, go and get Josh Morrissey. But if you do add him to your roster, just don't let him slip off your radar and don't think he's automatic because he's on the top power play. One, because he might not hold it the rest of the way. And two, because even if he's on that top power play, he does so little at five on five that he still may not be worth your while. So just keep a close eye on Josh Morrissey. If you do add him to your roster, that he's not snoozing even while he gets good deployment. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's weird. He gets so much ice time. You'd think he'd be able to do a little bit more with it. Every once in a while, he has like a big block game, and then he has a bunch of zero block games. So yeah, you're just hoping for those points. I agree with you. It's not like a guy I rush to. Again, I grabbed him because of a good schedule next week, and it looks like he's going to have a good schedule for many weeks coming up. So if you need D, you can probably do worse. But uh, yeah, it's nice to see the deployment. By the way, Brian, one guy who I didn't plan to ask you about on the show, but I'll just throw a, a, you know, another player to you out of left field here. But I just noticed that Andrew Kopp, is like also super slumping right now, <laughs> like similar to Neil Pionk, but maybe worse. He's got no points in his last five games. And I'm looking at the line combinations that Winnipeg put out there for their game on Saturday. And Kopp was on the third line with Adam Lowry and Christian Reichel. So it was Stasny, Wheeler and Shifley, and then Dubois with Connor and Cole Perfetti. Uh, so if Andrew Kopp is a line three power play two guy... That, to me, that's like, that's it. Like, obviously things could change. That's the thing. And like with the big schedule, you'd feel so dumb to drop Andrew Kopp and then have like a game later, he's back playing with Shifley and Wheeler. And, you know, now you've all these games that you've given up on a guy on the top line. So it's really, these are like the tough fantasy decisions, right? When a player's like bumped off a line after having a successful season, but now has gone totally cold. Uh, so I don't know what, I don't know what to recommend here, but I just wanted to at least mention that Andrew Kopp is getting bad deployment and is super cold. And if nothing changes, I don't see a reason why I'd want him on my fantasy team aside from, I guess, uh, some volume of games. He's definitely on snoozer alert. I mean, his minutes are up this year, but it's just because he's taken on or partially because he's taken on such a huge power play role. His five on five time has grown by like a minute per night, which is great. But uh, I think that's helped him put some shots on net. 
but it hasn't helped him put up a lot of points. And I'm not really hoping for much more. Like before the season, we were talking about Cop and uh, Mason Appleton now in Seattle as being guys who, you know, have been mid-six players for a long time. Can they step up and be reliably good in the top six? And the answer for both has been no. I will say that Cop is at least shooting up a storm. You look at his game log and he has a lot of three-plus shots games, including a couple five and six-shot games in there too. So if you're just looking for shots, uh, you can give Cop uh, a shot. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, on your roster, just for that reason, but I'm not seeing much reason to expect, especially with uh, worse deployment, that Cop is going to be doing much better than a 50-point pace the rest of the way. Um, we, but we should at least, uh, on the upside, you know, I've talked about, we've talked about Morrissey, Beyond, and and Cobb, neither positively, although you did mention Wheeler, and I just want to mention so many Jets. We have mentioned this all year on the show, but just to recap, so many Jets are, are doing well and are for real this year that we didn't see coming, or at least quite this way. Wheeler, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has kept it up as we said he would earlier in the season when he came out strong. And Kyle Connor has also hit another gear and held it as we said he would all season long, which is exciting. Shifley now heating up. He had been cold, but someone asked on our Discord server, like a patron, um, about what his outlook was. We broke it down, looked and said, like, hey, Shifley's a pretty good buy low candidate. So that window's probably closed. But if you want to try and add somebody with a lot of games the rest of the season who might not cost you a blue chip piece to acquire, they might want to kick tires with the Shifley manager to see if they uh, aren't a believer in his recent hot streak and are really down on him from his uh, sluggish periods earlier this year yeah it might be tough just because yeah six points in his last three games alone so maybe hope for a pointless game on monday or whatever and then <laughs> try to get him then by the way uh regarding cop you mentioned his power play uh, he's off the top power play now so the latest power play which again this could change right but so wheeler shifley dubois connor and then morrissey on d like we've said so assuming no one gets injured i don't see a path for a cop to get back up there okay no. let's go now to the other team that's playing 22 games over these next six weeks that's the new york islanders Man, it's really hard to come up. When we do this format of show where we're just going to kind of go through teams and I'm going to come up with something to say about each of them. I went to uh, Frozen Tools yesterday and on the homepage for each team, they have a list of like hot players and cold players, which is usually a nice little hint for me of maybe some guys I should look into. And yesterday, the Islanders just had nobody listed on hot or cold. It's just like they're just a super boring team. Where It's impossible to be hot or cold on the Islanders, right? The baseline is so low that you can't be cold and no one ever has a chance to be hot. So there you go. I think that's the reason. I I wonder how often there are no hot or cold streaks on the Islanders. Like, I guess I will. Here here are the small little nuggets that I've picked out uh, when I was looking into the Islanders yesterday. So first of all, Noah Dobson still doing really well. And he's clearly held the top power play, even with uh, Ryan Pulak coming back. And Ryan Pulak looks like kind of a snoozer like dud at this point i guess he has some peripherals but i'm not too excited about him at this point uh varlamov's in covid protocol uh so he burned a bunch of managers actually who streamed him in on saturday expecting him to get the second start in the row on a back-to-back i know ben was upset about that ben from short shifts uh so uh, it's kind of crazy that varlamov even is a streamer at this point but he clearly is right uh, sorokin has definitely earned that job to get the majority of starts anyway uh here's a i'm just gonna throw out a name at you of a player that is only 20% rostered on Yahoo. I think he should be higher. He's a super boring guy. But every once in a while, I just want to mention Brock Nelson because he's got this great schedule coming up. Like I said, 
not rostered in that many leagues. And after the pointless game versus Calgary, Nelson sits at 23 points in 33 games on the season. That's a 57-point pace, which obviously he's not going to hit 57 points because he's missed some time with injury. But he's like a top power play guy for whatever that's worth. He's on the Islanders. It's hard to love his even-strength line mates. Like in that game versus Calgary uh, on Saturday, he was playing with Ross Johnson and Josh Bailey. So that's not great. But the lines were really odd, right? So Palmieri's still on the shelf. So Cal Clutterbuck was playing with Lee and Barzell. Uh, so not, by the way, I don't know. If you need hits, Cal Clutterbuck, maybe someone who might luck into an assist. I wouldn't bank on it. Anyway, Brian, I'm so bored of Island- Islanders. Like, I haven't even asked my question so yet. So bored. What should, I, what should I ask you here? Do you think that Nelson's going to keep up the 57-point <laughs> pace? Probably, right? You know, I, I prepped a bunch to say about Brock Nelson, but it is really boring to talk about these guys. I will say it's exciting for anybody who has the Isles tandem, such as myself. We're all celebrating Varlamov uh, having, like, getting IR plus eligibility now because you know now uh, you save the roster spot if you're rocking that tandem and you don't have to book off the 30 minutes before each islanders puck drop to be constantly refreshing to find out who which goalie led the team on the ice they never announce it it's just which goalie leads the team on the ice for warm-up which you know is a pet peeve of mine Uh, brock nelson i will say the interesting thing to mention about him is that he's been a coach's favorite right since barry trotz arrived and he's always been pretty steady brock steady nelson he'd really disappointed to start the year just 13 points in his first 21 games uh, and over, like, the Isles played those 21 games, averaging literally two games played per week. And so Brock Nelson was not a must-hold through that. Now 10 points in 12 games. He's scoring on one of every five shots. That's about 5% more than it should be for Nelson's shooting percentage. I'd normally be more into Nelson, Elon. Like, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's automatic. You just like him for 55, 60 points. Uh, but since becoming Barry Trotz's favorite a couple years back, Nelson's time on ice has actually been slowly eroding the last few years, playing nearly two fewer minutes a night now than he did two seasons ago. So I'm actually not sold that Nelson is a must-have or must-hold. He's steady for 50 or so, and there is value to that. But um, I'm not sure I'm expecting Nelson to blow past 55, even if he can get to 55 rest of season, to me, is a question. And then uh, Clutterbuck, talk about boring. He got to the top line. Great thought, Elon. Yeah, maybe he'll get an assist while getting you hits. Clutterbuck had zero hits on the top line last night. Uh, First time with zero hits in 64 regular season games, going back to the middle of last season for Cal Glutterbuck since he last had zero hits. My theory, Elon, is maybe going to the top line means that they have the puck more often while he's on the ice, which means there's not the same opportunity to throw as many hits as he normally does. So, uh, you know, don't expect, if you're counting on Clutterbuck for his hits, you know, I'll sort of take the opposite look. Like, yeah, maybe he'll luck into an assist, but maybe uh, his hit counts will drop, in which case, if you rely on him week in, week out to fill your hits category, you might need to take a peek elsewhere. Just keep an eye on things. Okay, yeah, I guess uh, it's one game, so it's a good theory. Let's see what happens if he holds that spot. Maybe Palmieri will be back by the next game. It won't even matter. Uh, There's a guy on Ottawa, by the way, Brian. You must know Mark... Castellic, I think is his name. He just like joined the team recently. I added him in my dynasty league. This is what happens in dynasty leagues, right? I look at like the minors eligible players and he's this guy that's like throwing a ton of hits. He only plays like seven, eight minutes a game, but actually my league also counts face-off wins. And this guy Castellic has been like winning lots of face-offs and throwing a lot of hits. So I don't know if you're in a dynasty league like me, where you want these like swing eligible <laughs> players, then, and you, and you want, you want hits in a categories league. He's been really good and you don't have to uh, pay the salary that uh, Cal Clutterbuck makes. 
There you go. That's my that's my pick. If you, instead of Kyle Clutterbuck, take Mark Castellic, especially if if faceoffs are counted. I'm going to spell his name for anybody looking for him on the waiver wire. It's K A S T E L I C out of Phoenix, Arizona. I, I I don't think I need to go too deep into him. Twelve points in thirty four games. He's not an offensive player, but uh, that's a great little look, Elon, for deep leagues. Hits and faceoffs uh, aren't always easy to find, so I, I have no idea if he's going to play a whole lot more games beyond the what seven he's played so far this year. But uh, good find. I like it. Good job. Is this the first time I've known a name of a Senators player that you didn't? I, I feel like usually you're the one telling me about these random guys. But okay, let's go to, the, to the, now the team's playing 21 times over these next six weeks, the next best schedule. And the Edmonton Oilers are going to just get a bunch of them out of the way next week because they play five times next week. And the Oilers, obviously a very interesting team right now. Dave Tippett is out. Jay Woodcroft is in. And the Oilers gave Woodcroft the win in his first game, a 3-1 victory over the Isles on Friday on the back of a huge game for Mike Smith, where he stopped 37 of 38. I feel like it's not really even worth going into a deep discussion about Smith. Like, sure, I could ask you, is Smith going to keep it up? Is he back? Blah, blah, blah. Like, at this point, I feel like, here's my opinion, and you can just tell me at the end if you if you disagree. I feel like he's shown, this win shows that he clearly has some game left in him. He's also shown that at the start of this season for a couple games, like last season. So even though he's 39, clearly he has the ability to still be... Uh, pretty good goalie in the league and i think that this starting job in edmonton is his if he wants it right or if he can if he can handle it like i don't think woodcroft is like gonna be like okay i'm gonna overthink this like if smith is doing well he's the starter but that's only if his body can hold up and if he can continue to play well so like i feel like I'd personally be pretty scared to give up a big piece like in a trade. Like I'm not going to recommend for anyone to trade for Mike Smith because I feel like you, he could tweak something one game and next thing you know, he's making an announcement like Tuka Rask did last week. Like, you know what? I think I have to call it. I, I think I'm done after this next injury. So I'd be scared to pay a big piece. If he was in free agency, I would definitely add him. Oilers play five games next week. So you're going to get likely three games from Mike Smith, assuming he doesn't get injured. They're a good team. Like, I don't know. Now they have just got this win. Smith just had a good game. So if he's free agent, I want him, but I wouldn't trade for him because I'd be afraid that things could fall apart any second. Well, you said if he stays healthy and if he plays consistently well, and those are two huge ifs. So I agree, Elon. You don't want to get too invested in Mike Smith. I mean, honestly, if I asked you to to, to rate the odds of Stuart Skinner outplaying Mike Smith in the five games, right? There's five games. Mike Smith is old. He'll par- he could play three. Skinner gets two and outplays him. How, how likely... Like, I think there's at least a 50% chance that happens and then takes some starts going forward. Like, Woodcroft knows the, the new coach in um, in Edmonton, knows Skinner from their time together in Bakersfield, and I think he'll be more willing to give him a shot than Dave Tibbet, who apparently, you, you hear this story? I don't know if it's been debunked yet or not, but Mike Smith, after losing the first end of the back-to-back, went to Dave Tippett and told him, I'm starting the second half of this back-to-back, and Dave Tippett started him. They lost again, and Dave Tippett lost his job. <laughs> oh, no. he. I don't know if that's true. That's a pretty wild story. Do you think Tippett now holds a grudge against Mike Smith? Like, again, he, try, he tried his best, right? Uh, people like these players that are competitive like that. By the way, Brian, I should point out, when you're talking about Stuart Skinner, uh, Miko Koskinen's on the COVID protocol, but he might be back by Thursday. So we might be looking at, like, one game from Skinner, one game from Koskinen, and three games from Mike Smith. So I definitely wouldn't be banking on any other Edmonton goalie aside from Mike Smith at this point going to this five-game week. Uh, by the way, here are the lines Woodcroft trotted out on Friday. He had McDonald's. David with Hyman and Pugliarvi, then Dreisaitl with Evander Kane and Yamamoto, which left poor Ryan Nugent Hopkins to play with Derek Ryan and Warren Fogle. Uh, the top power play for most of the game was McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Pugliarvi back there, and Bouchard 
was still in that spot, though. Actually, Bouchard got less even strength time. Uh, probably not worth, like, reading too much into this. Again, like, this is a new coach. Like, things could change any game. Like, in a five-game week, I think the odds are higher than 50%. I will give you a higher than 50% for this, Brian, that the lines won't be like this uh, on Sunday of next week. I'm sure at least something will switch around. I will point out, though, that Scott Cullen did say when I had him on the show a couple weeks ago that when Zach Hyman was on the third line, he was like he didn't think it would last very long. And, you know, he was exactly right. And, hey, Hyman even scored a goal, assisted by McDavid in the second of that last game. And that goal, by the way, brought Hyman to 27 points in 39 games. It's a 57-point pace on the season. Brian, I saw you wrote on Discord earlier this week when we were looking at Hyman being back, reunited with McDavid. You're trying to decide if this is a sell-high moment for Hyman managers or not. So did you come to a conclusion with this? Like, I know people have been super frustrated with Hyman recently after being, like, over the moon for him going into the season and after his good start. Uh, Obviously, this upcoming schedule is a really nice selling point for him. That could be, like, a selling point for why you should hold him or a good reason to try to sell him, get a really good return now because you'd be like, look, the guy's playing with McDavid. He's got five games next week. Give me a King's Ransom for for Zach Hyman. Maybe now's your chance. This could be a chance to sell high. I'm not sure how much higher you'll be able to sell because Hyman is there right now on the top line and has recently produced there. And if you, so you, you have two choices here. You can sell him high to someone who thinks, yet yeah, this is the new normal for Zach Hyman, which I don't think it's going to quite be. Uh, I think in reality, it's going to be a roller coaster the rest of the season for his deployment. Like he might be shuffled off. He might be shuffled on. It kind of reminds me Elon, of Sam Reinhardt earlier in the year where we thought like he was a lock for the top six. He ended outside the top six for a significant part of the year. And then he was producing like mad uh, anyway, moving all around the lineup. And I, I feel like that's your second choice. If you're not, if you're going to hold Hyman. That's the second choice. The first choice was sell him. If you're going to hold him, you just need to be ready for things to be up and down the rest of the year. Although the top six now in Edmonton seems pretty reasonable and feels like it could stick. You know, it it, it would just mean that Ryan Nugent Hopkins stays out of the top six. And frankly, Edmonton, as they always have, needs a third line center. They've tried and failed to replace Nugent Hopkins there for a couple of years now. And it might just be the smart thing to do for Edmonton to keep him as that third line center where he can anchor a responsible line and not bleed goals against the way the bottom six has in Edmonton. I saw a stat the other day that Edmonton is something like uh, they they score 55% of the goals for while McDavid and Drysaddle are on the ice at least that much and 37% of the goals for without McDavid and Drysaddle on the ice, like without either of them. And Edmonton's going to need to fix that if they want to be serious. So if I'm right and Nugent Hopkins stays on the third line, then maybe uh, Nugent Hopkins, you know, his consolation is he holds a top power play spot while Pugliarvi and Hyman rotate you know, amongst each other on that top unit. I'm not sure where Evander Kane fits in there on the top unit. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out the whole Edmonton Death Star because we haven't seen a whole lot with Evander Kane and now with a new coach. I don't think it's a situation where you have to sell high on Hyman, but just keep in mind, nothing is guaranteed for him. And currently, he's not on the top power play. So you can shop for someone who is a sure thing, who you won't be riding the roller coaster with. Uh, but if you can't get it, don't rush to sell. Just hope that Hyman does hold in the top six because Nugent Hopkins stays out of it and don't expect a ton of power play time. Right. And I guess also keep in mind the schedule because, again, like Edmonton does play a lot, at least next week. After that, then they'll probably be more like the rest of the pack because, like I said, 21 games in the next six weeks, but five of them come right away. Yeah, and we'd be remiss to mention that Jesse Pugliarvi uh, shook off what was a 14-game goal-scoring slump 
last last game, which is great for Paul Yarvi. Uh, and he's got decent deployment right now, including seems like turns on the top power play as well. So if, if he's been forgotten or jettisoned in your league, uh, go and check to just make sure he's not available. In a five-game week, you just need to have two or three good games to be worth it, and you've got five chances to do it. And then Kylo Yamamoto, uh, again, he's someone who uh, the – the coach Woodcroft is familiar with from Bakersfield. They work together. You know, we always say this is a new chance for Yamamoto, and I'd stop saying that earlier this season. I'm I'm willing to give him another shot at this point, especially in a five-game week is a good time to do it if he can hold his spot on the line with Dreisaitl and Evander Kane. Yeah, I hear you. Why not try one of these guys for a five-game week next week? You could always drop them afterwards. Uh, okay, let's go to the other team playing 21 times over these next six weeks. That's the Minnesota Wild. The Wild continued their fantastic season with a big 3-2 to two win over the Hurricanes on Saturday. I think at this point we've done enough talking about, like, Kaprizov and Zuccarello on the top line and, like, Fiala and Boldy on that other line. Like, those... You know, we've, we've discussed, they're all, all four of those players, I think, are very good, and uh, there's nothing more to say. But I do want to get your take on a guy who hasn't been coming along for the ride on the top line with Caprizov and Zuccarello lately, and that's Ryan Hartman, who's held that spot, but after going pointless again on Saturday, is now mired in a cold stretch of only one assist in his last seven games. Uh, Hartman's shots and hits are also down from what he was doing in the first half of the season. I noticed that this slump started right around the time he was bumped from the top power play, Uh to be fair, he only had three power play points on the season, so it's not as if like his big surge for the first half was like based on a lot on the power play, but still, like that's obviously concerning that he's not on the top power play. He's on this top line, which is a good spot, but he's not getting any points. Any sense, Brian, of what's caused Hartman's numbers to jump back to what we'd seen from him for basically like his entire career before he became a new player at the start of this season? He had 32 points in his first 34 games. And now, like I said, only one point in his last seven. Do you think there's bounce back potential in Ryan Hartman, or is it time to consider letting go like even with all of these games coming up? That's a tricky one, and it depends on how desperate you are. I can't say for sure that Ryan Hartman is coming back from this. I I noticed him lately flagging, for sure, and that's strange, right? Because Hartman has been gravy for so long to anyone who picked him up out of free agency early in the year. But one thing that really has stood out to me, only 11 shots in Hartman's last seven games where he has that lone point. That's a big change from taking four shots a game on average before that. And it's not like Hartman isn't not shooting because he's off the top power play. He wasn't a really big shooter on the power play. So I don't think that's affecting him. So we have a situation where we've, referenced often on the show before, uh, famously with Logan Couture and most recently with Oliver Bjorkstrand, where we have these decreased shot counts for Ryan Hartman coming out of nowhere. And that always makes us wonder if a guy is playing hurt. It would be strange to coach Hartman to play differently with how much success he and his line are having. So is Ryan Hartman hurt? I don't know. Like the way Ryan Hartman plays, it's not surprising if he does get a little banged up. So I have put out a, a call to a Minnesota beat writer, Dane Mizutani, and I will retweet if we hear anything back from him just about why Hartman is shooting less. My, my concern here is that there's a lack of info to explain what's happening. And even, you know, a Minnesota beat writer might not have info to share You know, either the team doesn't tell them or the team doesn't want uh, opponents to know and the media goes along with it. So it's really tricky um, to not know what's going on because there's nothing to explain this, like about his on-ice performance or on-ice play. There is some additional context that someone knows something, but we have no way of knowing it. 
so yeah, it's really hard to say what's going to happen with Hartman the rest of the season, what you should do with him, because we don't have the information we need to actually figure it out. So now what to do with him really depends on your risk tolerance. Uh, do you think he's going to rebound because everything is going to be okay shortly? Or do you th- or can you handle waiting if he doesn't? That's the ultimate question that you need to answer based on your own situation. Because unfortunately, there is nothing here that we can sink our teeth into to answer this question based on any kind of evidence this is a total gut call if i have ryan hartman on my roster i'm not giving up like he's done too much for me for too long Uh, but if you're fighting for a playoff spot and you don't see him step it up soon then maybe it is time to let go and uh, if you can find someone better at a free agency who can at least take a bunch of shots for you then maybe it's time to make that swap if you can't risk hartman being cold for another week or two while he does while he's going through whatever it is he's going through yeah, I'm with you. Like, uh, it's tricky. Like, I guess, like, Minnesota plays four times next week, and not that many teams do. So maybe give him one more week, and then I think you might, if he still, like, gets no points and hardly shoots over these four games, then probably that's a sign that it's time to let him go. It's weird. Like, if there was something actually wrong with him, you'd think he'd get bumped from the top line. Though I guess Kaprizov and Zuccarello are doing just fine, uh, and the team is doing really well. So maybe there's no reason for them to shake things up. Actually, Adam is saying it sounds like Pacioretty's shot totals. Yeah, I, I was planning on bringing Pacioretty up later in the show, but he's also, he got injured. Now he's come back, and his shots are just totally disappeared and it's, it's unfortunate because like if a player like stops scoring goals we sort of have these like underlying stats and like, we have the shots we can look up like ah, he's still taking lots of shots he's probably unlucky but like brian what like is, is there anything you could even look at like you're, you're big into the advanced stats like if a player's shots go down is there a way to is there something lower than shots that then we can say like oh well he should be getting more shots i guess you could be looking at like if he's like missing like taking a lot of shots or just missing the net or, or something like that or i guess obviously his minutes are low then you could say like that would obviously be a reason why the shots would be low but it's kind of yeah. hard to like look at the numbers and figure out why all of a sudden someone's shots disappear Exactly, which is why I'm saying like we need more info here. You could look at shot attempts. That would give you information, but Hartman's shot attempts are also down. You could look at time on ice, but Hartman's is not significantly changed. So there's really, there's no... uh You know, if 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 we had access to better data, like where, like a heat map of where a player is standing on the ice through the game or like, you know, have a, have a, have a way to demonstrate where they get their puck touches, what they're doing with each puck shot, with each puck touch. Like we don't even have pass uh, shot assist data, which would be one way to know is like, is Ryan Hartman just setting people up more often rather than shooting, which would still leave us with a bunch of questions. Like, why is Ryan Hartman all of a sudden deferring to everybody else on his line? Uh, maybe because Kirill Kaprizov is amazing, but Hartman hasn't needed to defer to him. He's been doing just fine taking all the shots. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing on a... Like, that's what I'm saying about this Hartman situation. Same with the Bjorkstrand situation. Same with the Couture situation from last season. There's information here that we just don't have access to. And so we have to just do our best to 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 guess our way through it right yeah and by the way another player who's slumping a little bit on minnesota is joel erickson who shams was asking about in the chat like it's erickson is like the flip side of hartman and that hartman's got great deployment at even strength but it's off the top power play erickson on pp1 with zuccarello boldy kaprizov and spurgeon but he's playing on the third line with greenway and brandon duhame uh so erickson is another person that i feel like shams is asking is he more of a streamer or, or is he worth holding a roster spot I think I kind of want to defer also here. I want to be like, like Minnesota's a good schedule next week. <laughs> they play four times. I wouldn't be dropping Eric Snack now because who are you dropping him for? Like, if I was streaming someone, I'd be looking for a player on Minnesota on the top power play. Like, that's a pretty good streamer. So uh, he's on watch also to me because obviously he was a lot more interesting when he was both line one and power play one. He's lost a big part of that. 
And he's been displaced by Frederick Goudreau, or Freddie Goudreau, who is spelled like Johnny Goudreau's last name, uh, who is doing fantastic lately. He's got six points in his last six games, including three goals on his last 12 shots. So shooting percentage is a little high. But before he scored those three goals, he had 12 shots in three games. So this guy, uh, Freddie Goudreau, coming on strong in one spot, one roster spot that Joel Eriksson-Eck is not having access to. So that's great news for anybody uh, who is looking to roster a top six centerman in Minnesota. He gets to play with Fiala and Boldy. That's been a good pair to be a part of. Uh, so maybe he can be the Ryan Hartman or Matt Zuccarello of this line. And unfortunately, Joel Erickson Eck is on the outside looking in, watching a lot of people succeeding in the spots he used to occupy. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Goudreau, like definitely, again, if, he, if he's available in your league, he's playing with Fiala and Boldy. Like Fiala's getting points every single game, right? And Boldy's doing really well. So you want to get the guy playing with those two. And Goudreau is on a hot streak. And again, good schedule. But okay, Brian, let's uh, take a break right now uh, before we get to another, what is it? We, we have 17 teams we want to talk about. We've talked about four of them. <laughs> it's been like an hour. So that's typical us. Uh, but we're going to get to the rest in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. This episode of Keeping Carlson is brought to you in part by our friends over at HelloFresh. HelloFresh, this is a service where you get these meal kits in the mail. You get boxes where it has a bunch of ingredients and instructions. And you can make these like really fancy looking meals. And you could be like, look at me. I'm like this really fancy chef. When really you just followed easy instructions and it's really quick. And you don't have to go to the grocery stores. You save all this time. It's like this really cool service. And ever since I started using it, I really enjoyed it. It's kind of changed my life, to be honest. So with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I don't know the rankings in Canada, but it's number one in America. So that's definitely worth something, right? At HelloFresh, they deliver pre-portioned ingredients to your door. This pre-portioned thing is cool, right? You don't have to worry about having to throw out like excess food because you bought like too many onions and they're going bad. They give you exactly how much you need for each meal, uh, including farm fresh produce that arrives within a week so you get convenience without skimping on quality. Skip the trip to the grocery store, saving you uh, having to wait in long lines, ensuring you don't waste money on excess food. Like I said, uh, HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including veggie, calorie smart, family friendly, gourmet options, providing plenty of variety, recipes like hibachi, sweet soy, bavette steak. Oh, we talked about this last time, right? Yeah, they have, they have a bunch of fancy stuff. I don't need to tell you the name. Like, you should take a look at HelloFresh and see the list of really cool recipes they have. They're the kind of recipes that if you're like take it out to your family, you're like, hey I just made this uh, cheddar wonder burger or whatever. Like they'll be like what? The, how, how did you make this? And you're like it's my little secret. Wink to the camera. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, so HelloFresh it's great and we actually have an offer if, you're, if, if what I've said has intrigued you enough we have a special offer just for listeners of Keeping Carlson. Brian, you want to tell people about it? Yes, I would, Elon. Thanks for asking. Uh, if you, a listener to the show want to get in on the HelloFresh action. If this all sounds good to you, and it should, my mouth is watering, go to HelloFresh.com slash Carlson16, like Eric Carlson's last name, then the digits one and six, and use code Carlson16. Why 16? Because you get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Carlson16. Use code Carlson16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts and that's how you can get in on HelloFresh America's number one meal kit. 
By the way, Eric Carlson, news just came out that his injury is... This is only for people who didn't skip the ads, right? Because we love another ad after this. So little mid-ad content. News came out that Eric Carlson's injury isn't as bad as expected. He was expected to not come back till mid-March. Apparently, he's ahead of schedule. So that's exciting if you have him on your IR. Anyways, we're going to be back in just a sec with more Keeping Carlson, like I said, uh, after one more word from a sponsor. Okay, Brian, we are back, and it is time to go look at the teams that play 20 times over the next six weeks. So not as good as 22 or 21, but still very good schedules. Again, that means for six weeks, imagine three games per week for four of them, and then two weeks with four games played, uh, and you know, no really terrible weeks with like two games like some of the other teams in the league. Uh, so there's a bunch of them that play 20, starting with the Calgary Flames. Uh, this team kind of like Minnesota they have like just some top end players that it's at this point it's like tiring to talk about because they've just continued to be amazing all you like Goudreau Kachuk Lindholm all over a point per game over their last three weeks and like and on the season they're just this amazing season continues they probably deserve recognition as one of the best lines in the league at this point or at least they should be in the conversation they've been fantastic but Brian my question to you is has the success of the second line recently in Calgary made them all worth holding in a league like let's say the couple a deepish 14 team league because this second line is also on fire right now Blake Coleman who I called a dud last week but I didn't mean it I just did it for a bit uh, he had a four game point streak cut short in the win over the Islanders on Saturday still he has six points in his last five games Andrew Mangiapane scored in that game extending his point streak to five games in which he has five goals his last five games. And then we've got 19% rostered on Yahoo, Mikhail Backlund. He's come to life. Uh, he had that huge one goal, three assist game versus Vegas earlier this past week. Then two assists versus Toronto. Also has some seven and eight shot games if you look back at his game log at the end of January. So, Brian, I've generally thought of the Flames this season as like a one-line team in terms of fantasy and everyone else is kind of a streamer. But is it time to buy in on the Flames now having two fantasy-relevant lines with players worth rostering for this upcoming fantasy playoff run? I wouldn't go all the way there, Elon. I'd say for the short term, yeah, you should be interested in this Calgary second line. How about Mikhail Backlund? 38 shots in his last eight games. And these, it's the opposite of Ryan Hartman. These are coming straight out of nowhere. And I don't know why. I assume he's being coached to do it. Uh, but those seven and eight shot games came completely. Uh, they were just conjured up, which is really exciting. That's great for anybody who streamed in Mikhail Backlund. Good for you. Uh, that's uh, th- That line is hot right now. I don't think it's sustainable, though, which is why I'm saying you don't want to invest in these guys rest of season. Uh, you've got Andrew Mangiapane scoring five times on his last 12 shots, which has created a lot of opportunities for Backlund and Coleman to pick up some apples, which is nice. Great And great schedule coming up for Cal too, but I'm not sure you're going to be able to stick it out with either of these three guys for 20 games when they're likely going to be at 50 point paces. That said, you could definitely add them now, Backlund especially with his crazy shot on goal numbers, and ride them as long as he's shooting and as long as this line is scoring. But these aren't players that I think are going to carry me through to the playoffs or that I'm going to want on my roster for week one of the playoffs from what I'm seeing. Okay, yes, it's definitely something to watch. I wonder if at some point Calgary will shake things up, but obviously they won't, right? Now they potentially have two good lines. They're doing really well. And by the way, the defensemen also deserve some kudos, right? Like you brought up Rasmus Anderson before, but then you quickly said that lately he's been good. And yeah, he has eight points in his last 11 games. He's been holding that top power play spot. There's like a bunch of other defensemen on this team who are doing really well lately. Noah Hannafin has five points in his last three games, 10 points in his last 10 games. So Hannafin has really heated up. Oliver Shillington continues to have this like weird season where he goes on runs, then goes cold, and then goes on runs again. Right now he's on another run. He's got five points in his last five games, uh, which followed a pointless eight games before that. Heck, even Chris Tanev 
has seven points in his last four games. He has points in three straight games after having a huge one goal and three assist outing versus Arizona on February 2nd. So you know things are going well when Chris Tanev is well above a point per game over the last couple of weeks. Brian, I think Anderson is clearly worth holding in most formats at this point. You got, you want to have the top power play guy with Goudreau, like Kachuk, Lindholm. Like, you know, I know that Anderson has been frustrating at times. At this point, I'd say you probably want him. But I'm curious what you expect from these other guys, like Hannafin and Shillington especially. We don't need to talk about Chris Tanev. But uh, Hannafin and Shillington both getting points, right? If you need D, I, you know, there's leagues where, like, you know, Justin Falk is regularly rostered. Like, you don't necessarily have to be on the top power play in order to be worth rostering. And, I don't know, lately... Shillington and Hannafin making a case that they should be rostered in more leagues. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Shillington has been frustrating just because he's very up and down, as you mentioned. But that whole Calgary defense core has just been on fuego. They have 23 points in their last four games combined from the Calgary blue line. We've seen, we've gotten like three week stretches, I'm pretty sure, without seeing the Calgary Blue Line pointing 23 times. So good for them. Uh, but nothing changes for my outlooks on any of them. Like great job, Rasmus Anderson, Noah Hannafin, Oliver Shillington, and Chris Tanev for having a really solid week. Uh, but this decor offensively is ranges between inconsistent to non-existent. And so, uh, you know, I'll like Rasmus Anderson for some occasional five on five production with that top power play. Like you said at the top of the show, Elon, about 45 points. Nice expectation to be able to have. Shillington can have some weak winning uh, weak winning performances and have some weak losing performances immediately after them. So these just aren't guys you want to count on, but they do make themselves a little more appealing to at least take a shot on if they are sitting out there in free agency. Yeah, I, Brian, I like the dynamic of our show because it's like, I'm bringing up these guys, people need to be aware of who's on hot streaks, and then you come in and say, yeah, but like, let's not get crazy. Like, it could slow, and you know, and then obviously when you do then say that you think someone could keep it up, it's all the more exciting because you don't just give that away easily. So I definitely appreciate your insight on all of these Calgary hot streaks. Uh, let's go to Colorado now. They also play 20 games over these next six weeks. So they play three times next week. Uh, McKinnon came back today, and Colorado just beat Dallas uh, 4 nothing. This is a uh, final score for Sunday right before the Super Super Bowl. Uh, so, by the way, looking at this team, looks like Darcy Kemper is like being treated as a starting goalie at this point. His start today was his fourth in a row. Going into today, he had five quality starts in his last six games, including a huge win over Tampa Bay on Thursday. And then today, he got a shutout, right? So he's keeping this hot streak going. There was a point in time when Francois came back from his injury that it looked like maybe there could be a risk to Kemper's job and Francois might be more than just a backup. He might be like a 50-50 guy and Francois has played really well, right? It's kind of too bad for him that Kemper's done so well because you think that Francois has earned more starts. Uh, but it seems to me like Kemper is the starter. Francois is the backup and you don't need to like hold the tandem. Like I had the tandem in Cupful for a little while. Like I had had Kemper all season and at one point I felt like I needed to grab Francois and yesterday I dropped... I, I mean, I dropped him for Bennington, and it didn't go well. For uh, That was for Thursday's game. Uh, so my drop was good, but my ad was not good. Uh, but yeah, I think at this point, like, hey, Colorado plays Tuesday, Wednesday next week. So clearly, Francois will get one of those games, and I would want that game. But I think after that, you could stream him out. We've got a sure starter in Darcy Kemper, who's looking like he could you know, have a really big end of the season because Colorado is a really strong team, and he's really come on. Right. So this is advice to anybody who did bring Francois in it's time to let him go, right? Unless you're looking for, I don't know, a start a week and good rate stats, then Francois could still help you there. 
Uh, but he's not helpful in volume formats where if you need saves or wins. And good for Darcy Kemper. What an up and down season for him. But he seems to have earned back the job. 948 save percentage over his last eight appearances. Not the toughest competition in those starts. Like a couple against Arizona. He had some Montreal. And I think Chicago was in there too. But... That last win where he stopped 36 of 38 against Tampa, that's a starter-affirming kind of outing, and I think buys Kemper at least a little more rope than he might have had at other points this season to run with the starter's crease. So way to go, Darcy Kemper, for doing that, and uh, tough luck to anybody who was hoping Pavel Francis might be at least a 50% share meal ticket because he's not looking like he's going to be that. Yeah, and speaking of meal tickets, uh, Kemper is a UFA, I believe, after this season. So he's definitely earning himself a potential big salary with it. Like you talked about that Tampa game. Now he just shut out Dallas. So he's really coming on at the right time. Obviously, it'll depend what happens in the playoffs. Uh, let's go now to another team playing 20 times over these next six weeks. And that's the Columbus Blue Jackets. Patrick Laine's scorching run continued on Saturday with his one goal and one assist versus the Habs. He's now up to 12 points in his last six games. Two points per game. Like it's nothing for Patrick Laine. And by the way, check out who Laine has been bringing along with him, our good friend Oliver Bjorkstrand, who was skating with Laine on both the top line and top power play on Saturday. He scored a goal for his third game, picking up a point in a row. Brian, you've been the world's like most patient Bjorkstrand booster, but before this week, even you were starting to say on Discord that you were starting to see reason for concern. So of course, that's what he needed to get going. It's like he was like, okay, whatever, I'm doing my best. But then once he heard that Brian is saying that there's a concern with Bjorkstrand, then he's like, okay, this is like my last chance here. I got to do something and, and do something he did. That I don't know how much credit to give Bjorkstrand. He's playing with Patrick Laine, who like everything is going right for right now. But hey, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Points are points. And at only 45% rostered on Yahoo. That makes Bjorkstrand pretty appealing right now if you can get him. Got to imagine you of all people are going to concur that now's the time to get back on the Bjork train if he was dropped and is still available, even just due to that line exposure, right? 45% rostered on Yahoo is crazy low for Oliver Bjorkstrand. You know, there's a lot of times where I'm like a, a player, a quality player's percent rostered can't drop below like 60 or 70 percent just because of the dead leagues or the dead or the inactive managers in those dead leagues but 45 percent for Oliver Bjorkstrand is really low and I think in most formats he is still worth a shot at this moment although I'm not celebrating yet I'm not saying Oliver Bjorkstrand is back but it is good to see we were asked a question about Oliver Bjorkstrand on our patrons only discord server which by the way keeping carlson.com slash patron if you want to uh, support us on patreon and get some perks join our server talk with us get more of our takes through the week uh, I broke down all that I saw about Oliver Bjorkstrand and I came to two conclusions the first was that whatever caused Bjorkstrand to stop shooting in November was still impacting him. This was a couple weeks ago, and it looked true still as of a few days ago. Bjorkstrand had eight consecutive games where he took just one or two shots. Uncharacteristic for Oliver Bjorkstrand. Now, Bjorkstrand has three and four shots in his last two games. So let's see if that lasts. It would be great if we could close the, <laughs> close the book on Bjorkstrand not shooting, but we're not out of the woods there yet. The second conclusion I came to about why Bjorkstrand is struggling so much this year is that he wasn't getting to play with two-way defensively responsible players. Like Bjorkstrand the last couple seasons, this season and last, is a huge minus player, which you know we don't read into a whole lot in terms of player skill or talent, but it is telling when the guy has been a plus player his whole career and suddenly he's having two just abysmal, terrible, horrible minus performances uh, this year and last. 
And so I dug into why a little bit, and it's because Bjorkstrand in his plus days, he's playing with guys like Nick Foligno and Andrew, uh, Alex Wenberg, Pierre-Luc Dupois, all of them are gone, right? And this year, Bjorkstrand, and last year too, he'd been playing with Max Domi, Jack Roslevic, Sean Corrali, and I think that caused him problems. I think Bjorkstrand needs a solid two-way anchor centering the line for him to succeed and also some stability. His line mates had been all over the place over the last couple months. But now Bjorkstrand is playing with Boone Jenner. You know, forget you asked if Patrick Line is going to carry Bjorkstrand. I think Bjorkstrand actually benefits more from someone like Boone Jenner, who can hopefully be a steadying presence for Bjorkstrand. And I just hope that this line holds. So there's two things we need to keep watching for Oliver Bjorkstrand. First, is he regularly taking three or more shots per game? And second, is he playing steadily on one line with a two-way player like Boone Jenner? If the answer to both of those questions is yes, you're good. If the answer is no to either of those questions, then we're not ready to count on him again yet. But I still believe we will one day. It just hasn't been right for Oliver Bjorkstrand. Sure, but... At least for these last two games, it has been. So don't wait. I'd say grab him if he's available. And then obviously we, we can reassess if things change, like you said. Uh, by the way, Boone Jenner also 45% rostered on Yahoo, which is really bonkers to me. Maybe even more so than Bjorkstrand. Believe it or not. I, so I'm in a Fantrax categories league, which is like all the categories. And and Fantrax has their own way of ranking people. So I don't know, like the sauce of secret sauce of how they come up with this ranking. But according to the ranking there, Boone Jenner is ranked as the 16th skater in the league according to my categories like goals assists shots special teams points hits blocks he blocks by the way Boone Jenner even blocks kind of like a defenseman he's averaging around a block per game uh there's giveaways and takeaways he's great for that face-off wins like Jenner is contributing to every category like actually the one category he's not contributing as much as I expected is special teams points he's been on the top power play all season he only has eight uh special teams points uh compared to the guys who are ranking a little higher than him but still man in your multi-category leagues Boone Jenner has been a revelation and that uh this cheap new contract they signed him to mwah I'm loving, loving having him in my dynasty. But okay, let's go now to the LA Kings, another team that plays 20 games. We've still got one, two, three, four, four teams left that play 20 games over these next six weeks. And next up is LA. Uh, looks like, Brian, we've got to talk about Trevor Moore again. I'm sorry. Like, I feel like I brought him up on a show before, and you're like, I mean, come on. Let's not let's not waste too much time. I mean, you didn't say that. Like, you said, like, ride him while he's hot, for sure. And he did slow down for a bit, but he's hot again. He's killing it from his second-line spot with Arvidsson and Deneau. L.A. hasn't played in a while, but when they did last play, Moore scored two goals versus Pittsburgh and then had two assists versus Detroit, then took, like, two weeks off. But he had five shots in that last game before this long break. Uh, lots of L.A. guys are available in most leagues. Only Kopitar and Dowdy are more than 50% roster as far as the skaters go but if your league is deep enough or someone like let's say Arvidsson has been a sure season long hold like you know like in my couple division like Arvidsson's never been available so if you're in a league like that I think it's time to start considering Trevor Moore at this point he's got seven points in his last six games he also had that run of 11 points in eight games from the beginning of January that he went on before he went cold for a little bit so Brian is there any chance that Moore's 23 points in his last 25 games are at least partly somewhat for real enough to want to have on like a 14 team league roster I like how much you couched that so I don't just say, no, Elon, it's not for real. What are you thinking? Of, what, what are you crazy asking me this for, Trevor Moore? But guess what? I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to say yes. I think some chunk of what Trevor Moore is doing 
has a good chance of sticking around. Moore's underlying numbers, they show him shooting more often from better locations than he's ever managed to do before. And outside, like I was looking to see, okay, is the whole line overperforming? Phil Deneau scored a few more times than he should have, thanks to uh, a bloated run of shooting percentage. But the line, Moore, Deneau, and Arvidsson looking pretty decent on the whole. And Moore also has reason to be shooting more often because he's playing more often. Moore is a guy who saw fourth line minutes, 10 to 12 minutes a night through his first 20 odd games. Now he's averaging 17 minutes a night ever since then, including a season high 21 minutes and 43 seconds a few games ago in a one nothing shootout loss to the Rangers. This is all boding very well for Trevor Moore. I think maybe we could look to him as being like a Marcus Foligno type, somewhere around 50, 55 points to start with. And then he could legit work his way up a few points from there. Uh, I might even say Ryan Hartman, but he's not playing with Kirill Capriza, which I think is a big reason why Hartman has been as successful. Deneau's great uh, defensively. Arvidsson is good offensively. There's no real world beater on this line for Moore to help get points from. Uh, but... It's exciting to see Trevor Moore, who he's already 26. He's in his fourth year in the league. He's got 170 NHL games under his belt. But this role in deployment is new for Trevor Moore. So let's see what he can make of it. Uh, I'm pretty into him. And I would add him before going ahead and adding one of those Calgary second liners you mentioned. I'm a little more excited about his upside than theirs. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's a, a big statement there. And let's see what happens next week in LA's three games if Trevor Moore can keep this up somewhat more than uh, Coleman, Mangiapane, or who was it? Uh, Mikhail Backlund. All right, let's go now to Ottawa, who also plays three games next week and 20 times in the next six weeks. Uh, like Ben and Lewis have said, uh, we've been talking about Ottawa a lot on our Keeping Carlson feed lately between our shows and short shifts because of all the games they've been playing. I feel like we basically covered the entire roster. Like we've, we've you know, said to death at this point that Matt Murray is looking really good. Uh, like hopefully everyone listened and grabbed him like if he's a free agent in, in your league and you've been listening to this podcast the whole time then I guess we didn't do our job right or you didn't do your job right or there's something there's some disconnect here happening but you definitely want him for now uh, they Ben and Lewis brought up Connor Brown and how great he's been since he came back from injury he actually just had a goal and an assist today against Washington so he he continues his hot streak though it was interesting that you know they had this five game week that everyone was super excited about but then two of those games they got shut out right they got shut out by Casey DeSmith and the Pens on Thursday and then they got shut out by Boston on Saturday so I think that's like a good lesson about these like five game weeks yeah you want to get the volume but don't expect like it to be so great because maybe the team gets a little tired and Ottawa still has a lot of games coming up down the stretch so I do wonder if they're going to lose a little steam especially for now with like Norris and Batherson out of the lineup there's not too many great players for people to be playing with right like obviously you've got Kachuk and Shabbat and you know if you're you know getting exposure to Kachuk that's usually a good spot to be in all of a sudden Connor Brown is like a superstar so I guess he's looking good but you look at these other people like a Stutzla or a Formington that I think is like rostered in so many leagues right now because of this great schedule they've been having i wonder if they are still holds at this point you know ottawa still plays a lot over the next little while not as much as before i i, I guess i'm just curious like especially with norris and batherson out do we still need to be telling people that you need to hold on to like a stutzla or a formanton at this point like only three games next week I wonder if maybe you drop uh, Tim Stutzla, who's kind of cold lately, only two assists in his last six games, and grab, like again, like a Trevor Moore or a Calgary Flames second line. I'm just curious to know how you compare Stutzla and Formington. I don't know. I, I was going to ask you about Connor Brown when I prepped this, but now he had a goal and assisted. And actually, Formington scored a shorthanded goal. So maybe, yeah. uh, let's even say this just is the le- This is the lesson. No, this is the lesson. You're like, should we be down on these Ottawa guys who have gone quiet? And the lesson here is Ottawa, with the team they are, 
there's a lot of ups and downs. Like, that's just the nature of the Sens teams. There's some games where they're rolling and they're scoring goals, and there are other games where they're outclassed and learning and developing. And you can't predict which which game is going to come when. And maybe they're not all holds, but I wouldn't give up on Tim Stutzla. Uh, and I would hold you. You didn't specifically mention Matt Murray, but he's worth holding the way he's been playing too. One note to yeah, sure. to to mention here, just tweeted out on our game day news uh, NHL Twitter account is uh, Thomas Shabbat and Alex Formanton were both taken out of the game for precautionary reasons. Uh, I think there was a questionable hit from Garnet Hathaway uh, at some point in the game. So uh, just keep an eye on their statuses going forward. And Alex Formanton, by the way, good on the penalty kill. I, I retweeted an article from Shana Goldman earlier today where she was mentioning how Alex Formanton is one of the better players in the league at exiting his zone with control while shorthanded. And we've talked on the show before about this category, this new breed of players called power killers. These guys who can get you shorthanded points by being dangerous and aggressive on the penalty kill. Alex Formington is one of those guys. So if your league counts shorthanded points, Formington might hold a little extra value, even though shorthanded points are pretty rare and random. But yeah, uh, hold on to your sends. I mean, you know, I'd say Formington Brown and Ennis, especially Nick Paul, are are a little less reliable and on the periphery. Uh, and sure, you know, maybe you do better streaming that spot, getting four or five games from a variety of players rather than three games from just one of those sends. But I wouldn't let them off my watch list uh, with a pretty good schedule down the stretch. And I wouldn't drop them immediately just because they're quiet. Like they're the sort of team and the kind of players who really could on any given night have a good game which makes them exciting also frustrating uh, but definitely don't don't take them out of your sights if you're going to drop them because you think you can get more games played and by streaming that spot make sure to keep them close by on your watch list yeah that makes sense i'm a little worried about them being tuckered out but i guess we'll see how it plays out like i feel like the one that's the most highest percent rostered is tim stutzler of these players we've been talking about and he's the one who's like still super cold only taking like zero or one shots per game his line you know like with with the lines being a little bit depleted with those two stars out like stutzler was playing with adam Gaudet and formanton in the last games i don't know to me He's not like, maybe, maybe you disagree. And like, we'll just have to kind of see what happens to me. Stutzla to me is like a streamer at this point. Like to me, he's like Trevor Moore, which is like, could be good, could be not good, but not someone that for me is like a must hold. Uh, but uh, that's just me. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's go to the Toronto Maple Leafs now who also played 20 times over these next six weeks. Uh, turns out Austin Matthews was fine. So you were right that I shouldn't have interrupted you last week in mid show when there was news that he was injured. Uh, so that's nice. And it looks like he and Tavares were actually pulling an Ovechkin playing on both power play units. Uh, in Saturday's 3-2 loss to Vancouver. So Matthews is just, uh, man, what a, he's, he's the best. We talked about how he was, he's been more valuable than even Connor McDavid so far this season in fantasy and in leagues that count goals more than assists. I think that's a, a fair take to have. By the way, what a heartbreaking loss for the Leafs. Eh? Demko stopped 51 of 53 shots. Uh, Thatcher Demko, sometimes you just can't, you know, you go against a tough goalie. That's what happened. Remember there was that Canucks playoff run where it was basically every game was like this, right? Demko was playing out of his mind and then the Canucks got through a couple playoff rounds they probably shouldn't have. Uh, anyways, let's look at the goaltending, okay? So Petr Mrazek played in that game on Saturday. He didn't have his best game. He stopped only 21 of 23, but still it's interesting that he even got that start because generally, like if it was Colorado, it seems like they'd be playing Kemper if it wasn't a back-to-back, but Mrazek got that start on Saturday and it seems like he and Campbell have been basically splitting starts over the past few weeks 
after Campbell played pretty much every game up until around mid-January when Mrazek finally got healthy. And I guess it kind of makes sense that Mrazek has gotten more time in the net because Jack Campbell's been pretty bad lately. <laughs> like, he actually only has one quality start, and that was against New Jersey. And we know what Lewis thinks about New Jersey, right? So he only has one quality start and four really bad starts over his last six games. These are stats from Frozen Tools. Uh, he had a brutal five goals against Knight in his last start versus Calgary. If I were to make one of these memes, let's say I wanted to get a lot of retweets. First of all, I need to like take over Dom Lucision or like Dmitry Filipovich's account, right? That's step one. Then here would be my tweet. I'd say like, you know, the tired wired meme. I'd be like, tired is putting a picture of Jordan Binnington and saying that like being concerned about Binnington's fantasy value plummeting. And then I'd put a picture of Jack Campbell and say wired is being concerned about Jack Campbell's fantasy value plummeting because it hasn't happened yet. No one is really talking about him as like someone to be especially concerned about. Ben actually, uh, in Cupful Tier 1 Sweden, it's, uh, posted uh, like a couple weeks ago that he has Campbell up for sale. And I, I was interested because I need a goalie. And I was like, well, what are, what are you thinking? Like, who do I have to give you? And he basically listed like three of my superstars on my team and was like, I'll do it for two of these guys. And I was thinking of countering saying, I'll give you one. I'll give you one of Kuznetsov or Neil or D'Angelo. Then I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I won't because Morazic is back. And, and now I'm really happy I didn't because it's starting to look like maybe this is a 50-50 thing. I don't want to say the sky is falling too much. But I want to get your current take on this Leafs goaltending situation where Campbell has started to struggle. Morazic is playing half the games. I don't think Morazic is like, going to take over as the starter, but there's not as much value. Like, this might be an all-Mark Swayman situation, right? Where it's like two good goalies on a good team, but how much fantasy value do they have if they're not playing more than like 55% of the games? It's interesting that you say like an all Mark Swayman situation and then you say it's like having two good goalies on a good team. I'm going to focus on the two good goalies part. Of course, Jack Campbell's numbers are sterling, a 921 save percentage and 65% quality starts. That's beautiful, amazing, fantastic, elite performance from a goalie from a fantasy perspective. But, and uh, our, our managers in Cupful Tier 5, William, are not going to like what I am about to say. But Jack Campbell has only been so-so this year. When you account for the defensive support, he gets a net. He hasn't been great. He's been performing below his expected save percentage. He's kind of Devin Dubnicking his way to a good year. And I, I bet I'm making some people really mad right now. And I'm sorry if you're one of those people. That's not what I mean to do. But we need to acknowledge that, you know, like Allmark and Swayman, who are playing on a good team that gives them great protection, they're not having great seasons, but they're in the right crease to have a bad season and still have good numbers. Jack Campbell's performing a little below his expected save percentage at five on five. He's made up for it with stellar play while shorthanded, but that's not a sustainable way to put up good numbers in net. Um, and I think... Toronto's MO. So I, I wouldn't say that Campbell's won the job. I'd say that Mrazek has yet to mount a reasonable challenge. But I do think Toronto just wants both their guys to be ready, which is only possible if they do share starts to some extent. I still think Campbell can outplay Mrazek for as, you know, a little sub average as Campbell has been. Mrazek has been much worse at five on five to date than Campbell or any average goalie would have been if playing in the same crease, facing the same shots as Petr Mrazek. And I'm not sure Jack Campbell even needs to outplay Mrazek or if it matters. Uh, I'm just, uh, I, I don't think Toronto wants either guy take on a number one load, even if one guy is substantially outplaying the other. I mean, the offense and defense in Toronto can win games regardless of the goalie. So, uh, Elon, good on you for not trading a stud for Jack Campbell. And I, I don't know if you foresaw him losing starts to Mrazek, but at least you avoided having him while he did. It's been a nice ride for Jack Campbell while Mrazek was injured, but now we're back to the way it's been all year. Uh, outside of a five-game stretch where Mrazek was healthy, 
and Toronto gave Campbell a string of consecutive starts. Whenever Mrazek has been healthy outside of that, they've gone back and forth. And I can't say with confidence there's going to be a ton of opportunities for either guy to see runs of two or three or more starts in a row uh, the rest of the season. Toronto goes through the second half trying to keep both guys healthy and ready to play. So I'm curious, Brian, uh, definitely like great analysis. I agree with everything you said. I think that it's probably like Campbell maybe plays a little bit more. Maybe like Sorokin and Varlamov, you know, or like Sorokin plays That's a, a bit good more. comparison. Yeah, yeah. especially because Mrazek, if Mrazek pl- proves himself completely unreliable, then I don't think Toronto is going to be like, yeah, well, we want him to be ready. It's gonna They're going to possibly read the writing on the wall and say, okay, so we need Jack Campbell to be ready. Uh, but it's pretty hard to look bad in the Toronto crease right now with the way that team's playing. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a Minnesota situation where they just make their goalies look good. I did want to ask you about your process a little bit. You're saying how Campbell's actually been playing like below expected. I assume you're just looking at the season long numbers to come up with that finding because to me it just has looked so much like a tale of like, you know, he was so, so good at the start and now just like recently he's had like all these really bad starts which probably are just tanking his numbers. I wonder, like, I, I can't imagine, I'd be surprised because people were talking about him as like a Vesna guy, even like after the first like two, three months were his numbers only just average or do you have a way to pinpoint that um so over the last month so uh I've, i'm going back to january 13th it's only six games for jack campbell but yeah his 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 expected save percentage brutal yeah his expected save percentage at five on five or suspected fenwick save percentage but if you don't understand what that means that's okay uh, his expected number 940 his actual number 867 and he's had an 820 save percentage at five on five, yeah, yeah. which is just awful, right? So, are, so you're asking me to what? Look at the start of the season and see how well, good yeah, he was. You're saying because he's had such a, he was having such an amazing season, and you're sort of dropping this bomb. You know, it's actually the season wasn't even going that well. It just looks good, but really, Toronto's deep. So I'm just curious, yeah. like before this bad stretch, uh, was he also just playing average and just getting lucky because Toronto had such good D, or was he actually playing as well as people were talking about? Like, people were talking about him as a Vesna candidate. It's a great question because yeah, he was playing really well for the first couple months of the season uh over his first 18 games his expected save percentage was 946 uh and he was stopping uh, he was showing in 963 so that that's really impressive right so uh so you're right it's not as simple as just saying on the whole jack campbell has been a little below average um that's the easiest way to slice it. And I think but it's, it's not still true. Just, it's just, it's just, he's been, he was amazing and now he's fallen off. That's basically the story with Jack Campbell, right? Yeah. But overall, like if you're looking to rate the guy, um, you know, and you have this, we have this whole sample, even if he's fallen off the rails, it's a good discussion. If he's fallen off the rails for like 10 games out of 30, how much, like, are you saying that we should put less weight on those 10 games? Because oh, no. They, Okay. I was just like kind of thinking more in terms of like I was trying to tell the story of like he was really good and then he's gone bad and you sort of like were like well actually you know he wasn't even as good but it's like no okay it seems like the his actual numbers kind of did match his expect is like you know like uh, goals saved above average numbers and there's nothing like really like surprising under the hood it's just when you average it all out yeah, yeah. you get what you expect October November he was fantastic December he was already starting to slip and playing below average and then uh January that continued and February has just been uh, awful or January to February has been terrible so there's been uh, a lot of inconsistency for him but I don't but I I think bottom line I I don't even know it matters how well he plays for the Leafs you know so long as both goalies are playing reasonably well like giving their incredibly good team a chance to win every night I feel like Toronto would be happy to just rotate through them 
Yeah, totally makes sense. And then they're just going to hope, though, that one of them is ready for the playoffs. I can't even imagine what's going to happen in this city if they lose again in the first round after the season that they're having. But I, I don't want to jinx anything. So let's go next to another team that plays 20 times over the next six weeks in the Vegas Golden Knights. And speaking of players to be a little bit concerned about, Brian, can you please locate the real Max Pacioretty? Please don't tell me he's the next Logan Couture from last year or like the next Jeff Petrie, a player who like looked like a great asset in fantasy and then all of a sudden just completely disappears. I, I already said this actually earlier on the show. Since returning from injury, Pacioretty has been a shadow of his former self. Only one shot in each of his last four games. When before he got hurt, he was putting up like five plus shot games on the regular. He's gone pointless in four of his five games in 2022. And now to make matters worse, there's this news that Mark Stone may potentially be out super long term. And obviously that can't be good for Pacioretty because they've been so good together. Brian, I've got Pacioretty in our Keeper League. I'm panicking big time right now. Is there anything you can tell me to calm me down? Like the only solace I can think of at the moment is that maybe he'll have better line mates than Stevenson and Dodonov once Eichel enters the fray. Like, if I could please set the lines, I'll go Eichel, Pacioretty, and Marsha So, and then you can figure out the rest of it. I don't really care. But yeah, I am really <laughs> yeah. concerned right now about Pacioretty. Well, you and Scott Cullen talked about the Vegas lines, and you both took your best guesses, which are as good as mine. I don't know what's going to happen with them. You can definitely hope if you have Pacioretty that he gets to play with Eichel, although... He succeeds just fine with Chandler Stevenson, of course. Mark Stone on the other side might offset whatever downgrade Stevenson as a 1C, and Stone is not there right now. I don't think there's a whole lot I can say to console you about Pacioretty. I'm sorry. I, I, I can say that he's been really good for a couple of years now, and we've gone into great detail about how he's deserved everything he's gotten. All the good stuff Pacioretty's done, he deserves and can keep up. Um And I think if he's fully healthy, he can perform no problem, even without Mark Stone. But it definitely is disappointing that he has not appeared to return to his pre-injury self. So I think you just have to hope that this is something that plays out and Pacioretty feels better and better and more comfortable. That's what I assume. He's just feeling uncomfortable right now. So that's I know that's cold comfort, Elon, but I don't think he's gotten worse at hockey. I think he just needs to wait for his body to allow him to be as good as he was, which hopefully... It'll do. Yeah, I guess it's like this Ryan Hartman situation, right? It's really hard for us to figure out why he yeah. just stopped shooting. Hopefully, he's just healing and he'll be better by Wednesday. Injury information is so scarce in the NHL. Even when a guy is officially injured, when you have a guy like potentially Hartman and now Pacioretty coming back from an injury, it, it feels like it's not a common question in in interviews or, or piece of information to gather. Like, hey, is that injury still bothering you? Are you feeling 100%? That that would be a great question to just get some insight into Max Pacioretty. Because if he says, yeah, I feel 100%, uh, you know, I just need to keep working, working on my game. And we'd have to trust that he's telling the truth. It's just, uh, it's translucent at best in the NHL with injury info. So trying to read the tea leaves. Obviously, at this point of the season, I'm I'm frustrated with it. I just want clearer, clearer answers and better questions. But of course, we'll take whatever we can get. And for now, the assumption we're going to make based on what we've seen happen in the past is Max Pacioretty is still easing his way back to full health. Yeah, I definitely if I was there, I'd just ask, hey, hey, Max, why do you think you're shooting less? And then maybe that'll answer. He'll be like, <laughs> that would oh, be I actually had this. Because yeah. maybe he'll be like, oh, I have this new strategy I'm trying out. Or he'll be like, oh, I just, you know, had some bad looks. I feel, you know, whatever. I'd be curious to know his answer. But For anyway. any beat writer coming up, you could get a lot of followers. Like a lot of people would be really into your analysis and your articles. If you did just, if you watched players' shot counts and shot rates and asked them questions about that. Like that's the number one thing that we can't explain when we see the fluctuations happen for better or for worse. So that's a that's a freebie. You don't have to dream up amazing questions all the time. 
just look at the shot rates. There you go. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, also Chandler Stevenson is pointless in five games. Got to imagine he's pretty close to droppable, right? Like already he's cold. He's no longer playing with Mark Stone. There's also the threat. Like obviously, like we said, we don't know what's going to happen with the Lions, but Eichel is potentially going to bump him out of the top six. Like they have two centers that you would imagine would be ahead of him. So I, he becomes a very tough hold for me. Like I, in one of my leagues, I don't even have an open roster spot on, I think it's like Wednesday or Friday. Like Vegas plays Wednesday, Friday, Sunday next week, which normally is like a nice off day schedule. But next week, it's not really like that. Like the off days actually could be kind of busy. So if you're only getting like two games out of Chandler Stevenson next week, like I don't even know. Like he's cold. He's, his best line mate is gone. Like, yeah. Eichel's coming. I don't know. Like, I I would be worried. Like, I guess you could hold him, but, like, I'd be worried. You'd definitely be worried, especially with Jack Eichel coming and only Pacioretty and, I guess, Marcia So as your, as your top winger. Stevenson might not get a piece of either one of them. Uh, we do know that Chandler Stevenson, you know, we, we saw that he was going to come back to earth, which he has, and mostly because his points participation rates were extremely high and now missing one of his two most common and elite line mates, that's going to ding him too. So he's still fine and maybe like a 55-point guy, but he's not as exciting as he has been to begin the year, of course. All right, next up, Brian, we're going to Buffalo. Now we're going to teams that play 19 times over the next uh, six weeks. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six of those teams. And then that's how we'll end the show. We'll do a quick lightning round after that. <laughs> so still a lot to get to, but I wanted to stop in on Buffalo because, so we're going to be basically now we're talking teams that have decent schedules. Like this is average. So any team that we don't mention on this week's show, those are teams that have below average schedules over the next six weeks. And if you're depending on one of their players, you might be a little bit concerned <laughs> that you're not going to get as many games as players on other teams. But okay, Buffalo is one of those average teams with 19 games. Uh, Brian, I wanted to check in on Craig Anderson because Buffalo plays four times next week i had imagined there's a good chance that anderson might play three of them uh uko peko lukunin is healthy but he's been sent back to the minors i'm not sure exactly how long that'll last uh anderson played today in the game against montreal and looks like he did okay he had a rough start he led in three goals by the end of the second but by the end of the game uh, buffalo won five to three and anderson stopped 29 of 32 very impressively <laughs> he's he's 40 years old and he's still winning games i guess it's not especially impressive to beat montreal but still cool to see and i think that he'd be worth grabbing for a matchup next week where he could potentially play three times uh buffalo by the way man this top line of skinner thompson and tuck just insane like it's it's at a point now where it's dumb to even mention on a podcast that these guys are worth grabbing or whatever like again like i said before about some other players like if, if they're still in free agency for you then we've clearly had a miscommunication at some point i'm not sure what we can do skinner Four goals today in this win over Montreal. Sam Montembeau is going to be having nightmares about Jeff Skinner. Uh, so, Brian, what should I ask you here? I guess, uh, what do you think about Craig Anderson? I don't know. Do you think he's going to be able to... Is he? Do you, do you concur that he's worth grabbing at least for this week? And we'll yeah. see what he can do from there? I do. And you know, the biggest threat to Craig Anderson right now is not Dustin Tokarski. In fact, Dustin Tokarski is a protective factor between Craig Anderson and the biggest threat, which is Uko Pekka Luokinen. Uh, I think... Tukarski is still in Buffalo because he has to go on waivers to go down. Not that Buffalo should be worried about losing Tukarski, but maybe, and this is, I'm just putting this out there, Elon, you know, Anderson's been great, but maybe they're worried about calling up Uko, Pekka, Luokinen, and he steals a couple more wins than they want to grab. Uh, maybe, maybe he's their best goalie and they're like, you know what? Maybe why don't we let, uh, Lukanen keep playing and develop? 
And that way we keep Dustin Dukarski for whatever reason, I guess, just in case we need him. And also, uh, Craig Anderson is right now chasing down Mike Richter for total career wins amongst American goalies. I think he's, well, after today, he might be two or three away. So uh, they can support Craig Anderson in doing that, which is, uh, which is fun. We all want to see that. Craig Anderson's such a good guy. I like him. Oh, that's nice. Do you think he's going to end up in Ottawa? Well, I guess if he's an American goalie, then I guess probably not, right? Uh, like end up in Ottawa to play? No, like to live there. You know, sometimes there's like Ottawa former players that open restaurants oh. after them and like they're <laughs> hanging out like Daniel Alfredson has some podcast. <laughs> like, I, don't I don't know. know. Craig Anderson's been around, right? Chicago, Florida, Colorado, Ottawa, Washington, Buffalo. He's uh, He's been on a lot of teams and he was really good with Chicago and Florida earlier in his career. I could go on about Craig Anderson, but I won't. Uh, I like maybe, the guy. Uh, yeah, if he ever has a memoir, we'll uh, advertise it for free on this podcast. So <laughs> to Craig Anderson's uh, agents out there. Uh, let's go next to uh, Boston. So they also play 19 times over these next six weeks. Uh, no Marchand or Bergeron proved not as big of a problem for the Bruins versus the Sens as it was versus Carolina. They bounced back from the 6 nothing loss to the Hurricanes with a 2 nothing 30 safe shutout for Jeremy Swayman. We discussed maybe the Sens were tired. I don't know how much credit you want to give to the Bruins there. Marchand has appealed his suspension, so he could be back maybe sooner, maybe not. We don't know. Uh, we've had some good news about Bergeron. There was a tweet from Connor Ryan uh, quoting the coach saying, Cassidy believes that Bergeron will play next week. Not sure about Tuesday versus the Rangers, but Boston will see if Bergeron can get back on the ice on Monday. So maybe uh, everything will get back to normal pretty soon. Uh, so we don't really need to dig into the forwards there. It, it, I still want, the player I want to ask you about here is, is Charlie McAvoy, right? Charlie McAvoy managers must be starting to get a little bit concerned. He went pointless on Saturday. That was his fifth game in a row without a point. That brings McAvoy to 20 28 points in 43 games for a 53-point pace. His career high is 32 points when he played a career-high 67 games in 2019-20. So he only needs four more points to beat that. So I think he's going to beat his career high, which is nice. But this cold run has kind of put a halt on what was supposed to be this huge breakout season for McAvoy as he finally ascended to his rightful spot on the top power play. I was expecting him to be like a 60-plus point guy easy. Now I'm not so sure. So Brian, what's your take on McAvoy's current cold run? Is it just a matter of weathering the storm until Marshawn and Bergeron are healthy and then he'll get going again or do you see McAvoy maybe just being like this like 50 to 55 point guy regardless and not the kind of player that can ascend to like the heights that Tory Krug reached in that spot for a few years I'm not sure McAvoy can reach Tory Krug heights for a couple reasons uh, but one of the reasons why McAvoy is not putting up Tory Krug numbers lately is because Boston has scored 10 goals in their last six games All right, that's not a lot of goals. For comparison, Boston had scored three or more goals in 12 of their last 14 coming into this little slump uh, that the team is in in goal scoring and McAvoy having a personal slump as a result. Uh, In the last six games that McAvoy has been super cold, Boston has scored more than two goals a game just once. So that's not good over a couple weeks worth of games. I think that's all that's happening here for Charlie McAvoy in this particular cold stretch. For the future, though... Uh, yeah, I don't know that he can go as high as uh, Tory Krug. Uh, he has gathered 15 power play points in 43 games. That's amazing. That's seven more power play points than he had in eight more games played last season. Four of those have been power play goals for Charlie McAvoy, thanks to four goals on 15 power play shots. So he's not going to quite keep putting up power play production at this rate, but good for him that he's done it so far. 
that extra power play production is made up for some lagging five on five production from McAvoy. It's gone missing. It should come back. But on the whole, even though McAvoy is shooting more this year in all situations, he doesn't look like an offensive dynamo, to be honest. And I think 55 points is a safe expectation for the near future. Another reason why I don't think we can expect Tory Krug numbers from Charlie McAvoy, and I always give this constant Boston caveat, is that the future in Boston doesn't necessarily look bright. Right. Rask is retired for whatever that's been worth. Uh, Bergeron injured now again, getting older, even if he's healthy. Marchand also getting older. I mean, Pasternak will still be there. Hull will still be there. But there's not a lot else going on. And Tori Krug was with Bergeron, Marchand and Pasternak in their primes, not to mention David Krejci. Uh, like he had some really fantastic players to work with. McAvoy might not have the same luxury over the course of his career. So yeah, I'd, I'd put him around 50, 55 points going forward. There's a possibility he turns into something better, but I'm not sure the supporting cast will be there. Okay. Well, I was even just thinking for the rest of this season. Yeah. In the future, I guess it's hard to predict. And yeah, things might get a little bit murky, especially if Bergeron ends up not re-signing as a UFA after the season. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah. For the rest of the season, though, I do kind of agree with what you're saying that Boston is not scoring a lot now. Also, like, you know, two of their big superstars have been out of the lineup for the last couple of games. So I do wonder if now is a good time to try to get him a little bit on the cheap. Because I think when everyone's healthy, at least for the rest of this season, he should be able to do a little bit better. Maybe get back to like that 60 point pace that he was on, like before this current cold stretch uh so yeah i mean your top power play when you're with pasternak like the way pasternak's been going lately like that i feel like you want to have the top power play guy there and i hope that he could do a little better he's obviously a really good player in real life and this season he's gotten that opportunity on the power play to really up his point totals uh let's go now to carolina so they're also 19 times in the next six weeks uh brian i I gotta say i still feel a little bit weird and ben actually just mentioned this in our group chat recently like at some point this season i expressed some concerns about andrei svechnikov he went on this cold run with just a couple points in 10 games in late like November early December and he was also getting like third line deployment for some of that I'm kind of afraid to even go back and listen to what I specifically said on those shows I'd imagine it's aged really terribly because the 21 year old Sveshnikov has been insane lately six goals in his last six games 18 points in his last 12 games he's now over a point per game on the season 44 points in 43 games that's destroying his 63 point pace from last season Dude is only 21 years old. He's in his fourth season in the NHL. I'm not even sure how that math checks out. It's scary to think of what he'll be doing when he's like 23, 24, 25 years old. If he's already at a point per game. I'd be interested to know, actually, if the Sabres would want their Dalene pick back. Like, th- th- I think that would be an interesting conversation, right? Because obviously Top D is hard to find. Dalene has been good, but Sveshnikov looking really special. I was actually just like looking at that draft. Uh, Brady Kachuk went at four. Quinn Hughes went at seven. I don't know. It's fun looking at draft results. There was also a lot of duds in that draft. Uh, Sharon Govich went in round five. He's like the best late pick, I think, of that uh, 2018 draft. Anyways, this is boring. Uh, my big lesson here with Sveshnikov is just never put stock in Carolina lines. Okay, they say they change like every game. Like any, if I ever, if you ever hear me on a show being like Brian, should we be concerned? Like obviously, yeah. If I mention that Nino Niederreiter is playing with Aho, you stream him in, sure. But if I'm ever like, oh, should we be concerned that Sveshnikov is on, on this line and not on this line? Just slap me in the face because it's like that'll probably change within a game. Game. But now I guess let me give you something interesting to say and not just to say that Andrei Sveshnikov is good, which is obviously uh, something everybody knows. But another cane on fire right now is Tevo Teravainen. Don't worry, I'm not just going to now drop a hot take that Teravainen is good. I, I saw something interesting in here that I didn't realize before. So T- Tevo's been hot nine points in his last seven games. Uh, he had four games missed in between that with a lower body injury. But one thing that I don't think we've pointed out is how Tevo Teravainen this season has quietly become a volume shooter. Like all of a sudden, like we knew going into this year, he'd be a solid threat for 75-ish points. 
points, 70, 75 points, just like he does pretty often. But he fell to the bottom of the 70-point players being drafted in the Kakuffle due to his generally low shot counts Like for most of his career. He's been around a two-shot-per-game guy, which is pretty low. Out of nowhere this season, Tara Vinan has 119 shots in 41 games. That's almost three per games. He had four and five shot on goal games in his last two games since returning from that injury. So, Brian, like... I think we have a new thing. I just, I just want people to be aware. This is kind of reminds me of Alex Barkov at the start of his career. I remember he was a low shot guy. Then all of a sudden that like completely flipped. And all of a sudden now he was like a reasonably high shot guy to go along with all of his points. I think that's happening with Tavo Teravine. And obviously we've discussed at length in this episode how it's really hard to predict or understand why the shots have gone up. I'd love to know like if there's some underlying reason why he's shooting more. But it's very nice to see. He's pulling a reverse uh, patch ready at the moment. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to start because I it's great that Teravine is shooting but he's actually done this before. Like, this is the second time in three seasons that Tervinen is shooting around these volumes. And one thing that he has in common from this season and two seasons ago is that he's playing uh, more minutes than ever before, uh, especially on the power play, where this year especially, Tervinen is shooting more than he ever has. At even strength, he's shooting about the same, uh, at about the same rate per 60 minutes, and he's actually seeing fewer five-on-five minutes than he's used to seeing, but on the power play, holy cow, he's all of a sudden in a shooter's role and relishing the opportunity uh, with six power play goals through 41 games. So way to go. 18 power play points, by the way, through 41 games for Tavo Teravainen. So that power play production is coming fast and furious. I think he's earned a lot of it. I don't expect it to totally disappear. And I actually think that Teravainen, uh, unfortunately, is playing only 12 minutes a night at five on five, which is a full minute and even minute and a half less than he's seen you know, two, three seasons ago. But one thing I'm really noticing about Teravainen at five on five is points participation is far too low and his own shooting percentage, he's shooting 3% uh, when he's used to shooting, you know, close to 10 or a little bit above that. So I think there's actually room for Tevo Teravainen. You know, he's right now on a 72 point pace. There's room for him to get up there if some of those unfortunate percentages regress to the mean so there's there's uh that's good news for anybody with Tavo Teravainen in your lineup you can be happy for all he's doing and be happy that he is shooting a lot this season thanks to extra time on the power play but he also might still have some room to grow so good for you if you have Tavo Teravainen yeah, good for you. Good for him. I remember once I did an interview with a Carolina beat writer and we were talking about like Aho and Svechnikov and then he dropped like, you haven't even mentioned the best player on the team yet. So like, he's obviously very well loved in Carolina and they think that Tara Vinan is something special. Didn't they get him from Chicago for like just taking on a contract? Like, it was like a really bad, like Brandon Bickle. It's probably not even his first name. Something Bickle. It's Brian Bickle. Brian and Bickle. I, I'm trying to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try and find out the answer to. I do remember this trade. Teravinen was someone like we were excited with in Chicago, and he never got to actually show his true potential. Let's see. He was traded. There you go. He was traded to Carolina with Brian Bickle in exchange for a draft pick. Two draft picks. Right. So yeah, it was basically just a cap dump. I'm sure those. I'm sure Chicago would love to have that back. Though I guess they were in a crunch at the time and at the end of the day you can't judge their trades around that time too badly because they won Stanley Cups and Carolina hasn't done that yet so but they might soon they're looking really good next up let's go to the New York Rangers again another team that plays 19 times over these next six weeks uh, Capo Caco is going to be out at least a month with a lower body injury man I really thought Caco had breakout potential this season like we saw in the preseason he was slated to play with Panarin and Strom obviously this high pedigree guy uh, but he's been a huge bust this year only 14 points in 37 games no one in fantasy
fantasy is going to miss him now that he's injured. Man, remember when there used to be that huge debate of Hughes versus Kako? Who should the Devils take? I definitely think the Devils are happy with their choice that they went with Jack Hughes, at least at this point. Uh, the Rangers haven't played since February 1st, but when they return next week, it looks like it's going to be Barkley Goudreau taking that Kako spot on the second line. Uh, those are the practice lines we've seen today on Sunday. Meanwhile, I definitely didn't notice until checking that Alexis Lafreniere has actually been playing on the top line for a while with Zibanejad and Kreider and actually scored in his last two games before this long break. So Brian, going into next week, three games for the Rangers, 19 games over these next six weeks. Do either of these third wheel Rangers interest you? Are they either of them on your watch list currently in the couple between Barkley Gaudreau playing with Panarin or Lafreniere playing with Zibanejad and Kreider? Well, Gaudreau playing with Panarin is nothing new, right? We've seen him do that we've seen him playing in the top six earlier this season and the results have been on again, off again. So yeah, you could stream him in, but I don't think he's a go out and grab and Alexi Lafreniere, two goals on five shots in his last two games, still playing uh, decidedly middle six minutes uh, at best, even though his line mates have been great and still no power play time. So there's not a lot to love about Lafreniere's numbers recently, but it's nice to see him on the top line and producing, and maybe this is a chance for him to get on some kind of a roll. So, Elon, if you're looking for someone to stream in, I mean, we're already down on, what, the 15th best schedule the rest of the season. New York has 19 games uh, before the the Cupful Fantasy Playoffs start. That's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com, and just three games next week. If you don't know what to do, if you have an empty roster spot and your league is deep enough, yeah, take a swing on Lafreniere. But I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not rushing out to get him here. Yeah, I think my gut actually says Goudreau over Lafreniere, but anyway, we're splitting hairs. Uh, why? Let's go now. Well, oh, why did you say? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Lafreniere just screams bust to me in terms of fantasy for this year. I don't have faith in him holding the spot. I feel like Goudreau is probably going to get bigger minutes, and he also has maybe a little bit better chance of hits. I don't know. Just. Uh, I just have a hunch also. I think playing with Panarin is, is also better. I just really like how Tommy Yeah, and, G- and Goudreau has, uh, in his last five games, played 20 or more minutes three times. A lot of that is because he plays a lot on the penalty kill, and Lafreniere doesn't. But there is plenty, there are reasons to prefer Goudreau to Lafreniere. I'm just like looking, for me, if I'm looking for like the breakout potential, like who has the most upside, uh, Lafreniere the rest of the season, but who's most likely to reach their upside is probably Barkley Goudreau. Right, maybe it's a ceiling floor situation. All right, San Jose is another team with 19 games over these next six weeks. Uh, they rank 16th here. I put them, I guess a bunch of teams are tied with this uh, spot here. So San Jose is another team that hasn't played since February 1st. We've also got the San Jose Sharks lines according to their practice yesterday. So we can at least say what's going to come out of the break. And that's Hurdle, Meyer, and Barabanov. And then Couture with Balsers and Dalin. So Couture had that big one goal, one assist, and five shot game versus Tampa in the last game before their really long break so hopefully that was the start of a bounce back hopefully he didn't lose whatever steam he was starting to build up uh i I won't bug you with like which you know random sharks top sixer to add like i think it's like a coin flip bear balsers balsers you think yeah i'd go balsers he he was doing great going into the break and i think he's he's solidified a spot at least for the short term uh, and a good good line so yeah i'd be i'd be looking at him I think Dallin was also on a hot streak before, so I feel like I think it's really close between the three of them. To be honest, Barabanov's the one practicing on the top power play for what it's worth. But here, this is what I actually want to ask you about. I don't want to alarm anyone. I'm pretty sure it's nothing. But Timo Meyer went into the break with only one assist in his previous five games. He basically had that five goal game. Then he followed that up with a goal in the next game, 
And then he had five games with just that one assist. Brian, any reason? Should people be concerned that maybe Meyer peaked too soon and now he's going to have to make up for those five goals by having a bunch more games where he doesn't score any goals? Or is this just a total random aberration? <laughs> no, you're like, he has to, what, he has to pay the piper for having such a great game. He's got to pay back the karma that he got from it. Timo Meyer's having a phenomenal season. He really, really is. And there's no two ways about it. Like, I've looked at his numbers a few times. Like, yeah, that five goal game was exciting unfortunately yeah it seems like there is some karmic balance happening but that's all it is it's not like he deserves to suddenly go cold or that this is a sign that he's not going to have a great second half of the season Timo Meyer's on base for 94 points and I don't see much reason for him to not continue that pace the rest of the season he is a legit star I mean Elon you like shots on goal uh since the five he had a, he had a game where he took nine shots and didn't score. Followed up with three and four shot games and didn't score. So I'm not worried about Timo Meyer. He's still shooting. He's still phenomenal. And uh, this could be a great buy low window for anyone who's if uh, finds the Meyer manager that's panicking. Yeah, you might need a couple more quiet games before anyone's panicking, Brian. I uh, definitely agree with you here. Just wanted to throw it out there. I'm asking for the other people listening that may just want to know if there's something to be concerned about. But I agree that there's nothing. Okay, let's go to Philly now, the final team that plays 19 games over these next six weeks, which means if I haven't mentioned a team with a play, like I have a bunch of Florida guys and I'm very nervous <laughs> because I've got uh, Barkov, Duclair, and Verhage in one of my leagues. And I don't like that I haven't mentioned the Panthers yet. But anyway, Philly is the last one we're going to talk about today. Uh, the big news out of there is that Sean Couturier had back surgery and is out for the season. So he joins Hayes, Farabee, Ellis, now Broussard, Ristolainen on the shelf. Just stick a fork in the season, right? Like, too bad. Like, I do think that like they seem to have the pieces on paper to make a good team, but, you know, we haven't been able to see it. And maybe we never will, because I don't know if this whole squad is going to get healthy, which I feel bad for Carter Hart, by the way. I'm seeing that Carter Hart a lot of people are saying that he's actually having a decent season and he's just like getting bad luck from having really bad D in front of him. Overall, he's a 9-11 save percentage through 31 games. Only two wins, though, in his last 13 games. Uh, it looks like we may be at a point where Hart's fantasy value is similar to like what Jake Allen was giving you before he got hurt in Montreal, like a good volume guy with okay rates, but don't expect to get a win very often. I really can't imagine that Philly's going to go on a good run here with all these injuries and now Couturier out for the season. Yeah, they're they're already missing Ryan Alice too, which has been a big a big hole in their defensive core. Uh, there's not a lot of reason to think that there's much hope for anybody in Philly the rest of the year. So it's really frustrating because this is another season that was supposed to go pretty well and it hasn't. Uh, another lost year for a Philly team that you know, in, in one version of this world could have contended. I will say Carter Hart is doing his part through the season. He's playing above his expected save percentage. So way to go, Carter Hart. But there's only so much he can do when the team in front of him is not delivering uh, more often than not. Yeah, I'll throw out a name of a guy who I'm seeing available all over that may be worth a look for this final stretch. So Philly only plays two times next week, but maybe going into the following week where we're going to have more games, maybe take a look at Travis Konechny. Like, yeah, he's having a down year for sure. His assist on Saturday, though, gave him his third game in a row with a point. He has seven points in his last 10 games. He's also taken four shots in three of his last four games. And with all of these injuries, Konechny's found himself back on the top power play, which is a spot he didn't have for a lot of the year. So Giroux, Konechny, JVR, Atkinson, and Provorov have made up the man advantage unit there so yeah we're not expecting like the 61 points in 66 games that Konechny put up in 2019-20 but I think it's I don't know Brian do you think it's reasonable to expect that Konechny can end the season on a pace better than like the 49 point clip that he's currently sitting at yeah I do and there's reason to be optimistic one of them is that he's playing a lot uh he's his 
five on five time on ice is actually higher than it has been for well, ever, actually. It's the highest in his career. It makes no, sense. No yeah. one else is available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it kind of has to be that way. Uh, like you said, Elon, I'm not expecting him to get back to that that big production he had in those years where we were just like, you know, jaw dropped about him. But that power play production should be helpful if he can hold on to it. So I actually traded Eric Haula for him a couple weeks back, and I'm feeling pretty happy about it. I mean, Konechny has like flirted with fantasy relevance and irrelevance relevance pretty consistently over the last couple of years, but he's someone who has a chance to step up and make some kind of statement over the rest of the season that is looking uh, like it's it's it, any kind of serious contention is falling out of reach for Philly. That might be an opportunity for Konechny to get freed a little bit and show what he can do. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's a bad team, so it's definitely likely that they get shut out every once in a while, and then obviously you're not getting anything from him, but he'll have the opportunity because there's someone has to play on that top power play and they're running out of options. All right, let's do a quick lightning round, Brian, just of some other players that we weren't able to get to because they weren't on any of these teams with these good schedules coming up. Uh, I'll just do them like pretty quickly, then you could comment. Maybe at the end, I'll do a couple at a time here. So first of all, in New Jersey, Dougie Hamilton is skating in a regular jersey at practice. He didn't play today in Sunday's game. Uh, Damon Severson still on the top power play today. Another assist. He's been so good he has 18 points in his last 17 games which makes this a really tricky situation because the devils only play once next week on tuesday and then twice the week after so i wonder if this bad schedule plus hamilton's impending return means it's time to thank severson for his amazing services but still drop him and send him to the wire like are you really going to hold a guy who's only going to play once next week and that's also about to lose the top power play No, no right so Okay, that's the advice. It's going to be tough, but I think you have to say goodbye to uh, Severson. And I think you might also be kind of hoping, depending on who your other options are, that that Hamilton doesn't play on Tuesday so that you don't have to burn a roster spot on him when he doesn't play between Wednesday and like the following Thursday. Uh, By the way, also not bad time for Jesper Bratt to be a little banged up. I guess like hopefully he's fine and he comes back as good as he was before. But again, with New Jersey not playing a lot, he's IR eligible right now and I kind of also hope he doesn't play Tuesday because I'd rather get three games out of a Trevor Moore than one game out of Jesper Bratt I think uh, I wanted to quickly mention in Detroit with all the excitement around Lucas Raymond Moritz Sider's amazing rookie seasons making them almost as good as did, did we talk about this on the show if they're as good as Little Caesars or not no or that, that, on the pre-show? that was on the oh, pre-show okay well yeah so Detroit is uh, been having a lot of players doing impressive things Bertuzzi's impressive return from a season almost completely lost to injury I feel like we've talked with all these guys a lot we haven't given proper credit to Dylan Larkin and the superstar level seasons he's having like we've drooled over guys like Svechnikov and Jack Hughes breaking out but I'll admit I didn't really realize Larkin is actually pacing better than both of those guys after his three assist outing versus Philly on Saturday that brought Larkin to 11 points in his last five games 49 points in 44 games on the season that's a 91 point pace obviously Larkin is rostered all over but I just figured he's worth a shout out right like uh I just wanted people to be aware that Larkin is basically doing what Svechnikov is doing. And I feel like people talk about Svechnikov a lot more for whatever reason. This has been a great season for Dylan Larkin. You know, we've always wondered if he can truly be a top line centerman in the NHL. And I mean, it definitely helps that he has wingers who are playing like top line players. Uh, Larkin is definitely playing a little over his head here. Like he hasn't increased his shot rates at all, but he's on pace to score. Well, he has 24 goals. I'll put it this way. He has 24 goals in 44 games. Last year in 44 games, Dylan Larkin had nine goals. And in both seasons, he's taken three shots a game. So something's got to give. He's shooting 18% when in his career, Dylan Larkin has generally shot like seven or eight percent so 
He's not a 91-point player, but he has definitely stepped his game up a little. Like, his individual expected goals rates are higher than before, uh, so he's getting higher quality chances. And like I said, the biggest difference for him this year compared to last year is that the team around him, or at least the two players playing alongside him, are playing really well too, which has helped him. I think he's probably somewhere around a 75-ish point player, so long as he's you know got these great line mates. He's a very good player, but as you've talked at length with Prashanth Iyer, uh, the athletic beat writer for Detroit, he's not like a total game breaker on his own. But it's definitely, I'm glad you're bringing him up, Elon, a very good guy to recognize. Way to go, Dylan Larkin, for having a great season. But maybe just the uh, rest of season, decrease your expectations. He's not going to put up another 49 points in 44. I could see him, uh, well, I guess there's not 44 games left, but I could see him putting up, I don't know, another like 35 points over the rest of the season, which would still be great for him. Right, that would still probably land him at around a point per game overall. Okay, let's end with a hot streak and then a couple cold streaks. Uh, the hot streak is over in Arizona. I uh, just want to mention Alex Galchenyuk, right? I don't even know if people are aware that he's back in Arizona and he's looked good on his line with Kessel and Lawson Krause. He's scored in four of his last five games. Uh, the Coyotes don't play until this weekend, but they do play Saturday, Sunday. So if come Saturday you need a goal, I wonder if maybe you take a bet on Chucky. Maybe he'll be able to keep that streak going. Sure. I like that's as far as I can get with talking about Alex Galchenyuk. Like, sure. Uh, he's not a new player. No one's fixed him. But someone I will talk about in Arizona, by the way, Jacob Shikrin had three consecutive five-shot outings last week. Uh, he followed that up with three shots on Friday night against Tampa, uh, which is okay. Like, you're playing Tampa. Taya, shave a couple shots off from what you normally get. He had five shot, uh, 15 shots over three games, uh, 10 blocks, and he has three points in his last five. So there's at least a little sunlight there in Arizona for Jacob Shikrin. And sure, for Alex Galchenyuk too, not to take anything away from Galchenyuk, but like, there's no advice I can offer here except that, you know, take a shot and maybe you'll get lucky. Right, yeah. I guess I'd probably still want Kessel or Kraus if I want someone on that line for the weekend over Galchenyuk. By the way, though, you mentioned Chikrin. I'll just bring up quickly that with him doing well, Shane Gossespierre has actually gone super quiet. He has no points in his last five games. Like I said, Arizona doesn't play until the weekend. Gossespierre's having a good season overall. He's still pacing for 48 points on the season, even with this cold stretch. But I wonder if he's someone that you maybe consider dropping going to this five days of no games, uh, especially if it's a matchup where you need to win. Or do you think his value is still like too high to let go of and this cold streak is nothing to worry about ah we're getting to that point for sure where you can't you know depending on your level of contention you can't hold a guy if he's not producing for you so Shane Gossespierre like I would hold I'm not ready to give up on him for the rest of the season but it's been a frustrating time for anybody who had gotten used to his production can we just go back to Alex Galchenyuk for a second because I was looking closer at his numbers is crazy like this guy like this is a classic uh he scored. He has four goals in his last five games. He had a goal in each of the one-shot games he had. So in two games, he took one shot. He scored on that one shot. In another two games, he took two shots each and scored on one of those two shots. In another game, Galchenyuk took five shots and scored on none of them and also played fewer minutes than any of those other four games. This guy, like, just, just turn everything backwards and you have Alex Galchenyuk's numbers. <laughs> 
Yeah. There was a time, if you go back to early seasons of Keeping Carlson, we were really high on him over in Montreal. It feels like uh, eternity ago. I want to end with a cold streak, Brian. Joe Pavelski was on a run of 27 points over 14 games after a two-goal and two-assist outing versus New Jersey on January 25th. And since then, he's gone ice, ice cold. He hasn't picked up even a single point in his last six games now. Like I said, uh, Dallas just got shut out by Colorado. Uh, I've got a confession. I traded for Pavelski in my Dynasty League as a rental to help Maddie and I go after our second championship in year two of the league. Uh, In doing so, did I jinx Captain America? As soon as I traded for him, he stopped getting points. I actually got Pavelski and Malkin in that deal, and Malkin just played today and also didn't get a point. I might have ruined these guys. Brian, what's going on with Pavelski? Is he going to go back to what he's doing at the start of the season, or is this like a Timo Meyer situation where, yeah, he's cold, but like, come on, he's going to be just fine? I think he's going to be fine. He's still on this amazing line with Robertson and Rupe Hints, which we were just like lauding all of last week's episode. So I don't have much trouble to say that Joe Pavelski is going to continue being really great this season. Uh, his line is amazing. I don't see any clear reason to expect Joe Pavelski to be regressing. So I am, uh, I'm all in. This is a, I, I like Pavelski, like maybe not to be quite as amazing as he was over that. What, what was it? A 14 game stretch you mentioned, but overall on the whole, yeah, I'll put him in the Timo Meyer category of just expect him to be fine. Okay, Adam is saying that Pavelski played with Ben and Sagan in the third tonight, so we'll what? see if that holds it. I mean, it was against Colorado. They were getting shut out. I have a feeling they'll go back to their standard lines next game. Maybe something to watch. Follow at Game Day Lines on Twitter. All right, Brian, this has been so fun, but I think the time has come to an end. It's time for us to go and turn on some football, get your nachos, get, I don't know, whatever you're going to do, uh, but I've had a really fun time talking to you about NHL over these past couple of hours. I hope that the listeners have enjoyed it as well. If you want to get all of the Keeping Carlson shows that we put out on our our feed us the short shifts you got to just subscribe to keeping carlson on your apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you you listen to your shows obviously also check out dave's stream scheme a really great show uh, that he puts out every week looking at the next week's schedule so similar to this but just for one week uh, uh brian you mentioned earlier about our patreon we first of all super thank is that a, i super thank you guys uh but yeah i thank the patrons for all their support really helping to keep this show on the air and we invite any uh non-patrons to consider giving it a shot right it's still near ish the beginning of february so you can join right now try it out come join our community on discord and you could always cancel if you don't like it right you don't even get charged because you only get charged at the beginning of every month so for information on that just go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh thanks to everyone who joined us in the live chat we had a lot of fun here uh but brian with that i think we're ready to cue that outro music why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters flash christopher andrea tom jake derek david rob and patty thank you all so much and you can become a patron too over at patreon.com slash keeping carlson get some extra perks from us thanks to uh our couple coordinator kevin a bear and our team of co-commissions for keeping the kkupfl.com running smoothly as we hurdle towards the playoffs Thanks to Shams Benamore for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on our three essential Twitter accounts for fantasy hockey at Game Day Lines, at Game Day News NHL, and at Game Day Goalies. Logo art by BrandonWeave.com, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statue, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo! Great job as always, Brian. This was so much fun. Uh, looking forward to hearing what Ben and Lewis have for us in our two short shifts episodes next week. And then uh, talking to you next Sunday where uh, we'll come up with another fun concept for our show. I can't wait, Elon. Until then, 
I hope everyone has a great fantasy week and let's keep doing all we can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.